Welcome to Unbooking the Territory as we continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor's highest rated episode. My father, I smell his presence also! I feel him! The Red Rooster is going crazy, he's so excited! Gentlemen, at the risk of sounding negative, what in the world is going on here tonight? We're here with Terry Taylor. Terry, you are one of the biggest idiots. He has all the credentials in the world, but maybe he just didn't have the right direction. So when it comes right down to it, the guy had all the tools, but he didn't have like a rudder. He had all the power in the world, but he didn't know which way to channel it. Somebody back there from that executive committee is in this building. I'm not asking, I've never asked you for nothing. But I'm telling you, unless you want a bloodbath in that dressing room, get me a match. I'm not asking it, I'm demanding it with Sullivan and his stooge. I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. I Booker man. Oh, he said, I respect you. Thank you. And he walked. So how are you this week, Dan? I'm not bad, mate. I'm not bad. Um, I don't know if that's just the sun boiling my brain and I'm, I'm sweating out all my usual grumpiness. And I don't know if I'm just too tired. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually doing pretty good today. How about you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. The, the weather hasn't known what to do with itself today. It, it it was hot, and then it was cloudy, and then it was hot again, and you know, it it, it was uh, jumper weather in the sitting room. And now I've come to the kitchen to record this. It's uh, feeling a bit too warm, so it just doesn't know what to do with itself. <laughs> Does that mean I'm going to get a live strip tease that only I can see at some point? Oh, I, I I don't know. It's it, it, that that's your uh, that's your area of expertise for your only Dan's account. No, no, the more money the more money I get given, the more clothes I put on. That's how that works. It's like, it's like that sketch in uh, Friends where Joe is wearing uh, all of Chandler's clothes. Except I'll be getting paid for it, yeah. And I might take another tip off Joey and just start stealing random chocolate cake. Yeah, well, I would if I were you. <laughs> probably got some outstanding charges. <laughs> <laughs> Who from the fat bastard police? Well, it's funny because so 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 say you're in Greg's and you know you, you steal a donut or something quality quality donuts at Greg's and what they're going to do because if you steal it and eat it and then they chase you down the road you're burning off the calories so it, it, the um, the punishment doesn't fit the crime does it? <laughs> to be fair, the only time I've seen someone punished for stealing food, I was in Benidorm of all places, and uh, some dude tried to run away with a kebab. And the uh, one of the local coppers saw it happen. He wasn't having it. Got one of the extendable batons and just took this fucker's shins out. Wow. Right from running baton straight to the shins. Couple of whacks with the with the thing, and off he went to the and off he went to the cells for stealing a kebab. Are you sure you aren't thinking of the uh, Big Boss Man Test Nightstick on a Pole match that we watched with the extendable baton? I'm positive because I'd forgotten that happened. <laughs> Fuck on a pole matches. So also this week for the first time. The amount of American listeners has exceeded the amount of British listeners uh, for the podcast. Well, bloody hell. Brilliant. Yeah. Our northern our northern English Yorkshire chap must be getting to them. Yeah, yeah. That, well, may it continue. I think we've uh, managed to do what Oasis never quite managed to do in Crack America. <laughs> Rob and Dan, better than the Gallaghers. And certainly less cunty. Yeah, but we probably drink about the same amount. I think we probably drink more. Apparently, 
at one of the times when they attempted to get the band back together, all Liam Gallagher would do was come to the recording studio, drink Jack Daniels and say how much he'd uh, missed being in the band. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's going to be me if we carry on doing these three-hour nitros. I'm just going to be sat here drinking saying, do you know what, I missed, I missed doing those two-hour roars. I missed, I missed the episodes that were 45 minutes. I think we've only got, after after, after this episode, we've only got two more three-hour nitros and then we're back to the two-hour nitros. Oh, I wish I could sing Hallelujah. Not the Jeff, not the Jeff, not the Jeff Buckley thing. I mean, the proper, like, gospel, like, the, the tropey thing you see on TV all the time. To celebrate us getting more American listeners, we're going to have an American guest on the show for the first time. We are, yes. Mr. Uh, Mr. Tony Silver, or should that be Lieutenant Tony Silver, uh, will be joining us uh, shortly, hopefully. We're just, just awaiting his arrival. I'm very excited to have Tony on. We are, we are, and I'm going to struggle. I'm going to struggle because it, it, it's Lieutenant, it's not Lieutenant. I, I need to get a, a, a British to American dictionary. <laughs> Leave tender, Tony Silver. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you drinking at the moment, Dan? In a break from tradition, I've actually uh, not got uh, not got a stout on the go. I polished off all the stout I had in uh, on uh, recording Bang Bang the other night, uh, Bang Bang episode fifty, which uh, which was an absolute fucking scream. So I'm on Northern Monk Patrons Pro- uh, Project twenty five oh five, which is called Private Idaho. It's a single hop Idaho, uh, IPA, seven point four percent. And do you know what? For this weather, it's absolutely perfect because it's really muggy in my front room. But this is light, refreshing. Bit hop, you know, bit hoppy, juicy, really good stuff. Uh, and then I've got Northern Monk again, flake and sauce, which is uh, an ice cream pale ale. And that'll be uh, that'll be good. It's Northern Monk, they're very rarely bad. I think that's about six and a half percenter. And then I'm going back to the uh, Northern Monk old Flax Star project, OFS038, uh, which is a five point four percent West Coast IPA. What about you? Excellent. I had that mammoth delivery from Brew York the other day just to go through the range. So at the moment, I'm drinking their raspberry pie, which is a Ooh, raspberry yes. oat milkshake. It's pale ale. It's uh, 4.7%, but it, it's very nice, going down very well. Uh, after that, I'm going to move on to a North Brewing Co. Full Fathom 5, which is a coconut and coffee porter at 6.5%. And a very nice one, too. And then I've managed to get my hands on an Imperial Egg Hunt from Salt Brewery, which is an Imperial Chocolate Stout at 10%. Uh, um, also very tasty. I think I may have had that on this very show at some point. Yeah, I think it was like an Easter special or whatever, so I, th- I thought I'd missed it, but uh, managed to get some, so happy oh, about it. No, that, that's not the, the, no, that's not the cream egg one, is it? No, no, the, uh, the cream egg one wasn't, wasn't that Northern Monk, the cream egg one. It might have been, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Our turning point. Beth bought some, but then she lost it. So She um, lost it? Well, she, she when she changed work, she had it delivered to her old work, and then she got the um, uh, went to the new place and uh, forgot to take it with her. And is too embarrassed to uh, go back to the old place. Uh, uh, what? I know. <laughs> this uh, is the sound of a man's heart breaking on behalf of somebody else's beer. I know, Jesus I know. Christ! Fuck it. You know what? I'm I'm driving to wherever Beth's old work is, and I'll walk in and get it. <laughs> <laughs> Demand you, it. You might be down a can after I've come out of there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the repo man, isn't it? The repo Dan. <laughs> oh 
God, don't don't say that. I'm going to end up having to turn up to that 90s wrestling podcast with a bloody robber outfit on. So now it's time for the BSMLA section of the show where the listeners can sit back and be the virtual Nijax and we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a beer that you should drink while you're watching this episode of Monday Nitro. So what would you recommend, Dan? I remembered to do it this week. Aren't I great? And I refuse to say that in the style of Jeff Jarrett because fuck that. I would recommend... Uh, Extra Brownie Pints by Brew York Uh, 11% Imperial Chocolate Brownie Stout I gave it a a 4.5 on Untapped It is absolutely delicious And will get you pissed very quickly And if you're lucky It'll get you so pissed This nitro might be good I I really like the brownie brownie pints I haven't had the extra brownie pints But uh, it it sounds uh, sounds like it'd be good If it rolls through either Brew York or Trembling, I'll keep an eye out, mate, and I'll uh, I'll I'll add that I'll add that onto the uh, the Kinder Bueno stout that I'm uh, that I'm keeping for you when I for when I can finally come across. To be honest, it may well be in the cupboard because I literally went on the Brew York website and just added everything I hadn't had, which is why I've got the raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> I only had that recently as well. Somehow it's just like bypassed me and it turned up in a beer fifty two box. Bizarre, because uh, we had uh, beer fifty two arrive recently. I'm going to recommend Snake Dog IPA from Flying Dog Brewery. It's a 7.1% American um, IPA. It's with orange and tropical fruit aromas. Uh, I gave it three out of five and on tap to Beth gave it two out of five. Um, but I'm recommending this because the show's from Miami, Florida, and the state fruit of Florida is the orange. So I'm going with that. Another Rob Deep Dive link into beer and wrestling. Uh, they get, they're getting more obscure. It, it, it's, it's it's more and more difficult to find these links. Um, I'm going to go into the uh, tasting notes and style guides at the moment. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. You, you do all the thinking up front. I save all my thinking for the end of the show. So now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is 505 or 505 by Tiny Rebel Brewing Company. So Beth's Beer of the Week was 505 by Tiny Rebel Brewing. It's a 6.2% New England IPA. She's given 3.25 to Untapped, and I've given a 3. And I've never heard of. I thought you got that um, Tiny Rebel box set when uh, young Sam ordered one and then we copied him. No, I ended up getting um, some of the key lime lagers and the um, the Stay Puffed, you know, the, uh, the marshmallow stout. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd seen all of those go on your untapped, so I assumed you'd got the same box set that we got, but perhaps not. No, no, I, I think I'd have been a cheapskate and uh, got the uh, got, got the got the strongest booze for the least money. So this episode that we're covering today, Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor's highest rated episode, is the first episode where Terry Taylor's stepped up and he's actually a head booker rather than just sort of being sat at the back of the creative meetings or part of the creative committee in WCW. So Eric Bischoff is going to log into LinkedIn and he's going to have a bit of a look at Terry Taylor's career and, you know, look for some skills that might be appropriate for uh, promoting him to that position. Terry Taylor went to Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina and played American football there and graduated with a degree in economics. Fair enough. Clever bloke, uh, obviously a good athlete. So, you know, uh, the athleticism and all that always uh, always crosses over. We're starting to uh, shift now, aren't we, to uh, people who've got that academic background? You know, it's it's really coming thick and fast. Mm. 
It was, yeah, because before it was basically anybody who'd, who'd worked for or caught the eye of Bill Watts. You know, back in the back in the early episodes of the podcast, that was all we were seeing. Really, it was, there was it was it wasn't even you know six degrees of separation. It was two sentences, and there's a worked with Bill Watts, or you know had a similar career, had a similar path with to Bill Watts. But again, it's just seeking more of that diversity, which I think people um, they were just sort of trying to capture the magic of uh, of Russo coming in potentially. Potentially. So then Terry Taylor goes on to become a regional man- manager at Golden Skillet. So I, I don't know from his career, and actually just a, a sneak behind the uh, curtain here for this episode, a lot of this information I'm getting for Terry Taylor's LinkedIn is from the genuine Terry Taylor's LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. But yeah, fair enough, you know, he's into management, so he hopefully knows how to, I know, he's, I know it's maybe not for uh, not a decent thing for a head booker, but it could be transferable skill, you know, now to keep people happy in terms of the employees, the people you're writing for. It's definitely sort of a background, again, that, you know, with, with those sort of real world skills, not necessarily the I've been selling wrestling programs from age 10 type skills that uh, we've seen before. It's, it's definitely a, a more strings to the bow. Yeah, absolutely. So Terry Taylor... Starts wrestling on the Indies. Um, he moves his way to work um, in the early 80s in Mid South, Mid Atlantic, that kind of thing. And he tags with Bobby Fulton in Fantastic Ones. He did, apparently, they were very good. Uh, I can't recall ever seeing a match because my knowledge of the territories is shocking. This is actually where we could do with uh, with Matt being around because he uh, he loves all that. He goes back and watches it quite regularly. Yeah, uh, or Steve, if we can keep him sober enough to, uh, to comment on it. He, he loves the. Uh, Old territory stuff. Oh, of course it is, yeah. I was, well, I was just thinking, you know, and also keeping him uh, interested in podcasting, which who knows when uh, when, and if uh, Bang Bang will come back. So we're uh, we're running unopposed. Unless, unless they've already come back by this point and I'm just talking out my ass completely. Well, the, this is it. We've got so many episodes in the bank, they'll have had a good long break and come back for season two, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, can't, I don't know what point it was in uh, in Taylor's career, but... I do remember seeing that he wrestled under the name Scary Terry Taylor. He did, he did. So that's that's a couple of moves on. So firstly, he's going to just work his way around the mid-card in various promotions like NWA, UFW, WCPW, and then he signs... WCPW, really? WCCW. (laughs) Sorry, mate, I just had to pull you up on that because I'm just now imagining the Red Rooster wrestling Martin Kirby for the internet title. It would have made the Red Rooster better. Well, Martin Kirby makes anybody better. He does. He was fantastic. Martin Kirby was fantastic. So then Terry Taylor goes and signs uh, for the WWF in 1988, initially, as you say, as Scary Terry. Now, that just makes me think of the uh, the Freddy Krueger ripoff in Rick and Morty, where they call him Scary Terry, and he's, but they describe him as legally distinct because he has the swords for fingers instead of knives. Yeah, and he's shouting, you can run, but you can't hide. And Rick realises that maybe they can hide. And it turns out they can. Yeah, yeah. and he just gets pissed off and goes back to his, uh, goes back to his family. <laughs> <laughs> should we should um, do a Rick and Marty podcast. For sure. Next, um, obviously, he's going to get repackaged as the Red Rooster. Fucking Red Rooster. <laughs> oh, man. Although, to be fair, part of me, part of me has always wanted like a, a little red mohawk or something like that. Just to uh, just to have that there, but as soon as I, as soon as it reminds me of Terry Taylor, and now, how just how fucking darky he looked doing that. I uh, 
I immediately rethink it. So he saved me from myself, if nothing else. So then, in 1990, he signs for WCW, and in his debut match, he beats one mean Mark Calloway. Oh, I wonder who that could be. Oh, that's The Undertaker, as we've uh, discussed. Um, he, he goes on to be repackaged as the tailor-made man uh, as part of the York Foundation in um, WCW. So the York Foundation is a, a sort of a, a heel of sort of yuppie wrestlers uh, managed by um, Alexandra York, who's Terry Runnels. But this tailor-made man character is playing someone who's a businessman with two degrees, which sounds relatively close to... Uh, <laughs> Terry Taylor's starting in the uh, the business. It does. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's true to life. He's already got one degree, hasn't he? So, yeah. Well, uh, apart from the, the the amount of degrees, but you know, coming from kind of a businessy background or whatever, yeah, yeah. management background it's, or whatever. It's just, I, I, I do wonder. I do. I do question the uh, the creative that thinks. You know, uh, what's what's unique about you? I have a degree in economics. Right, we're going to make that two degrees because all the number because all the numbers in wrestling have to be inflated, and yeah. we're going to just make you a bit of a knob. <laughs> so you have to you have to you have to go you have to go out there, talk a load of stuff about numbers that nobody understands, and people are going to hate you. Well, it worked. Um, people hated the Ark Foundation. Um, I have heard a lot of good stuff about the Ark Foundation. To be fair, again, uh, just I've never revisited that era of WCW. It's not into my. Uh, uh, entered my uh, my sort of wrestling sphere, as it were, but I should really enjoy it. I should really look into it because it's the York Foundation, and I live in York. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like a good little crossover there. So then Terry Taylor's going to bounce around the mid card in various promotions uh, for the next few years, be it WWF, WCW, or the AWF. And in 1996, he's going to start working um, as part of the WCW booking committee. So that that's during the time that Kevin Sullivan's kind of the main man in creative. And Terry Taylor's also going to start working in talent relations. So he's going to have a bit of say of the hiring and firing of maybe the lower card guys. So he's already got his sort of foot in the door in terms of who he wants to uh, to have around, who he thinks can do a good job. And he's already having input into the direction of the show, so I yeah. suppose it's only a, only a logical step that he'd uh, that he'd uh, that he'd come up. Yeah, and on the nineteenth of January, nineteen ninety nine, Wade Keller's going to report in the Torch that Terry Taylor's got the position of assistant booker in WWF. Bruce Pritchard has quantified this, saying that he was uh, much more junior than that. I think it's. Uh, uh, the, uh, an American office sort of Dwight situation where he's saying that he's the assistant manager and uh, they're saying no, he's the assistant to the manager. I do really like Steve Carell, to be fair. I think he's brilliant. He's even fantastic in dramatic roles. Um, yeah. Wrestling Connection, he played uh, John DuPont in uh, Foxcatcher, which was about uh, John DuPont setting up a wrestling team to rival the uh, the US at the Olympics. Very much worth a watch. Uh, very, very dark story. You have to check that out. But Terry Taylor, while he is in WWF, he's going to be working under Russo and Ferrara, as Bruce Richard says, maybe in a junior position. But he's also, as well, going to be working in talent relations there. So, you know, he's got his fingers in a number of pies at that point. In September 1999, Vince McMahon asks Terry Taylor to sign a contract with a no-compete clause. 
so effectively have that 90-day window where if if they terminate his WWF contract, he can't work for WCW for 90 Mm -hmm. days. Terry Taylor says he'll only sign that contract if Vince McMahon makes him both the head of creative and the head of talent relations. So that would be replacing <laughs> Vince Russo and replacing Jim Ross at this point. Uh, just, just to sort of put it in perspective, Russo's taken Ross to the highest rating in... Yeah. <laughs> in WWF. That's not going to um, fucking happen, is it? That's like... That's, that's insane. That's like that, that's like a League Two footballer telling uh, telling Liverpool, yeah, I'll sign for you, but I want to be the manager and the director of football. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 just craziness. I mean, no no one is getting that. The, the last person in WWF under Vince that had this much power was that short period during sort of the steroid trial where Jerry Jarrett had been brought in because Vince was scared that he was going to lose the trial and he needed mm. someone that he could trust um, to run the company if, if that happened. And Jerry Jarrett had been very close to Vince Sr. and promised him that, you know, he'd help Vince if he ever needed it. So Vince so, felt safe to give him a lot of power. So yeah, dire, dire fucking straits. Jesus <laughs> Christ, I might, I might be going to prison. I best give somebody more power. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, aside from Jerry Jarrett, no one has had this much power in WWF. And that was what Terry Taylor was asking for. And hasn't to this day, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's insane. So needless to say, he doesn't sign the new contract and WWF and Terry Taylor part ways. But very conveniently, this is at the start of September in 1999. And we'd spoken about the situation where... Kevin Nash and Kevin Sullivan kind of had this gentleman's agreement that uh, when Kevin Sullivan was kind of ready to come back to creative, he could. We've also spoken about how the ratings had had really tanked under Kevin Nash, how the company was losing a lot of money. It was a fucking cliff edge. Yeah. (laughs) For the most part. Although, although weirdly, we say that, I'm I'm, I'm veering into sort of the, the context of the rating side of things. Um, this is only two weeks after the the Nash Low that we looked at last time, yeah. uh, with uh, with the Wing Commander, and they've gone back. They've gone was it a two point nine? I think two point nine, and, yeah. it, and it's gone back up to a four point one via a four. Yeah. Um, so you know, you know, Nash the, that epi- that episode that we watched last week actually brought more people in. Well, potentially, and but I mean, if you're looking at the ratings as a whole. It had been on a very downward trend, and that far as the last Kevin Nash episode was kind of anomaly on that trend. It was. Yeah, it was. So just to talk about the trend of the ratings, Sullivan and Taylor jointly together are only going to be in charge of the creative for WCW for the next six episodes. As we've said, they start with a high of four, and it literally drops every single week. So yeah. the last episode is going to be the lowest, and that's going to have gone down to a 2.6. Obviously, a downward trend the whole way, that there's not ever a point where it's looking like we're picking a bit of momentum back up. And we, um, haven't, seen a, we haven't seen a rating that low, or, or anywhere near that low, since uh, Russo's first episode that was a 2.7. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the ratings were trending the other way at that point. Yeah, they, they started going up, yeah. yeah. So they have an average of 3.17. And that compare, and this is a mean average for Good Cop, Bad Cop uh, podcast. I'm not going to do a median for... Um, for six episodes. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure even even I understand what a mean average is. Yeah, they were more debating which is the favourite type of uh, average to use. But again, you know, this is an average of three point one seven, and that compares to Nash at three point seven seven. Although both of these trends have been kind of down all the way, and it's going to compare to Russo and Ferrara when they come in and take that average up marginally to three point two. But the difference is that they are tanking the ratings so much that that 3.17 almost kind of isn't a fair reflection because if they'd have stayed in longer, you feel that it would have just slipped even further. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And and you see, you know, what you said there, that it was a slight bump in ratings when Russo and Ferrara come in. So it does speak to steadying the ship somewhat. But then well, Russo and Ferrara aren't in charge that long, and it. Like I'm looking at the spreadsheet now, and I can see what's coming. I don't want to don't want to spoil too much for uh, for anybody listening, but we we must have some crap coming our way. <laughs> That's the spirit, Dan. That's the spirit. Oh no, it's going to be brilliant to rip apart, and I'm going to really enjoy it. But as far as Nitro goes. If, but the whole, the whole purpose of this podcast is to see if the ratings are actually reflective of how good or bad a wrestling show is um, or how entertaining we find it. Um, if you take it at face value, there's going to be some utter fucking bollocks. That's what, that, that, that is what we're here for. And we have sat through some utter fucking bollocks with the earlier. Nothing can be as bad as 95 Rob. So last week we had Wing Commander Nash and we're keeping up the military theme by having Lieutenant Tony Silver on, who is one of the best people on Twitter. Every time I see him post, he spends time when he leaves Twitter and then he comes back, but it always puts a smile on my face seeing him post. Just an absolute delight to speak to. And if you ever want anyone who... I think even Matt Hardy gets confused whether Matt Hardy's Matt Hardy or Tony Silver's Matt Hardy. I think Matt Hardy secretly believes that Tony Silver is Matt Hardy. So it's our guest, the wonderful Tony Silver. The physical embodiment of broken brilliance. I won't try and do the voice because I won't do it justice, but we knew he'd come. Yes. yes. Thank you very much for having me and inviting me onto your podcast. And this is a pleasure. I look forward to... Uh, the interaction and the uh, uh, banter we shall have reviewing Nitro from 1999. I'm just, I'm just so happy to see you back on Twitter, mate. Um, at the time of recording, it happened. It was, it's only a few weeks, I think, uh, since you came back after the hiatus, and there was the brief, um, the brief foray back on pe- peeking your head above the battlements to see the uh, to see what kind of hellscape Twitter was that day. But it, it's great to have you back, pal. I'm just so happy to finally get to speak to you properly. I appreciate that. I, 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 I'm, and my return has been received by yourselves and many, many others. And it's uh, given me confirmation that uh, it was the right decision and the right time. And it is a very fortunate twist of fate. Yes. I think, I think Twitter often gets a bad rep because people say there's a lot of negativity on there. 
but there are some truly wonderful people on there and, and people make you know real connections on there and I, I think sometimes you have to sort of look at it, it it's, it's almost like sort of gold mining yeah there's a lot of stuff that you, you're going to throw away that that's useless but there's really valuable stuff that you're going to find there as well I, I think on the occasions that you do make a return to it is a better place for it absolutely well, I, <laughs> not much not often i'm speechless I, I appreciate you i mentioned that i tweeted this before to you uh, uh, uh i guess i'd better, rather be killed with kindness than <laughs> anything else and that's it rob kindness. i appreciate that. We, we've got talking? a new gimmick rob we need to emotionally compromise every guest <laughs> well <I'm, laughs> I, I do have a slight agenda because I don't want you to leave Twitter, but we have we have we have a sort of way of working on this podcast. I give the nice entrances, and Dan gives the shit house entrances. So if you come back, you're going to get the roast. Okay, so so I was given this is the exception to the rule. So if I do return, I will get the uh, the rule of how it operates. Then is that what I'm getting? Well, it, it doesn't. Um, necess- it's not necessarily in the um, you know in that order. It's just, it just so happens that I've jumped in. Uh, on a, a few times and given the uh, given the bastards introduction, <laughs> but oh, we'll uh, we'll we'll save that for next time and I'll uh, I'll build up some ammunition and uh, we'll have a little <laughs> bit of, we'll have a little bit of a roast and uh, and and, feel, and just feel free to fire whatever back. I don't mind. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with a a, a, a a harmless rib from now from now and then. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's from a good place, it's good oh, humor. Okay. Exactly. So we gave you five categories to rank in terms of what's most important to you when you watch wrestling. Most podcasts, when they get people on, are going to ask them how they got into wrestling. But but we're not like that. We just skip straight past and say, what's the most important thing? So out of those categories, which would you rate as your most important when you watch wrestling? I would say, for me, storyline. Storyline, just just want to know what the ba- what the story is that leads into the match. So storyline would be in the top for me. Yeah, excellent. All but Sarah, when she came on, was the only person yeah. that didn't say storyline oh. is the most important. And to be fair, she put it as number two. So common theme. Again, though, I guess we're, we're, we're back into that category of a gentleman of a certain age, uh, just <laughs> into, wanting to be sat in a nice chair and told a story. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I guess it comes full circle because when we were children, we like to hear a story. So when we get a little older, we just want to we want to continue that. We want to recapture that storytelling. Uh, well, how do you say? Suspend our disbelief for a time. Just give us something to engage us. Yes, I, I think you've hit on something there, though, because most people sort of fall in love with wrestling as a child, and mm-hmm. it's sort of that, that sort of childlike wonder or whatever. Or even even as a child, you kind of know who's instinctively who's good and bad at wrestling. You don't mm-hmm. you don't so sort of be that educated. You know, children can engage with it. So, yeah. what's the next one, Tony? The second one is in ring because again, I, I, it's like to me, it's like the storyline is what is the hook for me, and then obviously it is wrestling. So, I then want to know in ring how they will display. What it is the story was building to? What's the payoff? Is basically so for me, it's in ring. Yeah. I think is that the um, is that the highest rating we've had for for in ring? No, because Sarah gave it the most important. Yeah, but to be fair, Nash 
and Batch and Stew, although they come as a pair. So Tony's on par with an actual professional wrestler. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your next one, Tony? Promos would be next. That's, that's how they get people in the buildings. I mean, that's how they get them to buy pay, the pay-per-view. So, I mean, you, you better be able to cut a promo and uh, be able to talk and get people hooked in. So promos will be third for me. Superb. What do you put next out of presentation and fan response? Then I would say uh, a presentation because I want to make sure that what I'm watching is going to be, you know, pleasing to the organs that are globular, the eyes. And um, then obviously last would be fan reaction because, I mean, as much as I've missed the, the presentation with the fans, I mean, I, I want to make sure that the presenting actually looks good and then the fan reaction is you know, it's there. It's, 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 I guess it's the least then. Uh, um, in, in, uh, in, my, in my mind, that's, that's the least. So there you go. We, we went very different routes to get, uh, to get fan reaction last, and yours was far more polite than mine. <laughs> <laughs> my, mine, mine was basically uh, fan reaction was last because I don't care if other people like it. As long as I like it, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> See, no, I mean... <laughs> I still would say that's polite because you know it's not for you to care what anybody else likes. If they like it, then great. If they don't, then great. I did, all, I, I did also say the word "fuck" a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> in the word, in the words of uh, uh, my general, broken Matt Hardy. There's no need for the foul language. <laughs> Although you're a warrior, welcome to use it. Who am I to tell you any different, anyways? <laughs> so funny, Tony. On um, Wednesday night, we were guests on another podcast, Bang Bang Podcast, and Tanner from A Change of Attitude and uh, Radio Techers uh, was on that podcast. And Steve, who, who's one of the main people on Bang Bang Podcast, he, he's wonderfully profane in the amount of parodies that he uses. Uh, and Tanner, Tanner, being the American, just, just didn't know what to do. So I, I think it's definitely a cultural divide that... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, far okay with the swearing. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I am, I am by no means fallible. So I have uh, used the vulgarity in my time. I mean, 43 years on this earth. If I had not used the vulgarity, then uh, something might be wrong. You know, I have, I have used it, and it does not offend me if others use it. So by all means, let let, let us be uh, genuine with each other. You know what I mean? Well, thankful well, for that. I, I think the problem is we just use it as punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you can't think, if you can't think of what to say, particularly from from the part of the world that me and Rob are from, you'll just instead of a pause or say you know um uh, you know any form of of mm. sort of stalling, we'd we'd just say so, we'll be mid sentence so you know you know fucking fucking uh, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I get you. I got you. <laughs> Horrible, and, vulgar people. And people think that Britons are bowler hats and roast beef. <laughs> uh, we're still Vikings at heart, though, in Yorkshire. <laughs> ah, you like to indulge in your primal instincts, yes! <laughs> Swearing, drinking, light sprinkling of pillaging. <laughs> it, it just stops at the pillaging, though. We're, we're, we're not Brit rest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, this is very true. 
So the episode that we're reviewing today is Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor's highest episode at a rating of 4.1. It was filmed on the 6th of September 1999 at the Miami Arena in Miami, Florida. There was an attendance of 8,623 people there. And you might remember this, this arena, Dan, because this was actually the arena that Kevin Sullivan's solo time in charge, he got his high at on the 31st of August 1998. And at that point, they had 12,481 people in the building. Yeah, that, that was a brilliant crowd, especially we'd been watching some really crap rows. We're nearly 4,000 people down. Yay. <laughs> oh, dear, that, that's, a, that's a very damning indictment of, uh, of where it's gone, isn't it? So now it's time for us to go through the show. We're going to pick between us five notable moments from the show. Maybe they're going to be good, maybe they're going to be bad, maybe they're just going to be talking points. So, Tony, as you're the guest, what was your first notable moment from the show? Notable moment from the show? The, the one thing, is, the first thing that stuck out, stuck out to me was the way they did the Battle Royal into the, that, the number one contender match. Again, re-watching re- it or watching it for the first time, I mean, it's been so many years. It's like, wow, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko were having a number one contender match to face whoever was going to be the champion between Sting and Hogan. So it's like, I didn't realize that they were actually, at, I, I knew that the, 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 what would become the Radicals would, you know, lead, were, they were trying, they were getting that moment to be getting elevated. I just didn't recognize it was to that extent. So that really stood out to me that they had that number one contender match, even though Sid Vicious and such interrupted. So that stood out for me. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll cover that either the last episode of Russo or the first episode of when Kevin Sullivan, Ed Ferrara and Terry Taylor are going to be in charge about the Radicals moving to WWF. But at this point, the revolution, so we get a battle royal, which has three factions involved. It's supposed to be a 12-man battle royal with... The first family managed by Jimmy Hart. So that's Jerry Flynn, Hugh Morris, Brian Nobbs, and the Barbarian. Uh, the revolution of Dean Malenko, Shane Douglas, Chris Benoit, and Perry Saturn. And the West Texas Rednecks. So the good old boys are, uh, are back. Fucking, they put, fucking their number one hit single. bullshit munchers. <laughs> Wing Commander Nash loved them, didn't he? Yeah, of course he did. That's on his... That's on his also, G- well, this was supposed to be a 14-man battle royal, wasn't it? it no, the, the advertising is a 12-man battle royal. And I always really worry with wrestling when they have to explain, like, the rules. I think that the only time that that works is the Royal Rumble, you know, when, when they stop explaining it, because it's just such an iconic match. But And so, also, the Royal Rumble's fairly simple. This Th- 30 men, two men start, one man every whatever interval it is, throw out the top rope to get eliminated. That is, that is simple. Having yeah. twelve randomers in in a ring and saying the first four over the top are eliminated, the next six go into singles matches later in the night, and the last two wrestle next week for a number one contendership. But we're going to trot them out later anyway, and well, that that's going to come to a, a wider point for me. But it was yeah. a clusterfuck. This did make my top five, and I wrote it down as battle royal bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just like, what, what is going on <laughs> you know I, when i saw when they announced it and they laid out i'm like 
well, this, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't need to be this, this convoluted. Like, what are we doing here? Like, is it, you're trying, although I, I, I can gather though for three hours, again, they were a three hour show there, that would be a possibility for why they were doing it to try to fill out the three hours. They didn't have enough wrestlers in the building to do a three hour show. Yeah. So they, they come it felt, it felt a bit like, it felt like an old British indie show in reverse. Because British indie, British indie shows used to be you'd get four or five matches in the first half of the show, and then the second half of the show would be a battle royal. So you'd have mm. everybody who's already been on the show competing in one match to fill some time, throw people out, be, be right. a bit of a spectacle. The only good things I can say about this uh, about this battle royal is it gave a reason to have the random thrown together matches. Like you like you alluded to Tony. It gave those matches a reason to be there. It's not just like you're turning on an episode of whatever wrestling product you're watching nowadays and they're just throwing two dickheads in the ring just to have a match for the sake of it. Yeah, right. And the other thing was they had a they had a really good camera angle which was elevated but a slightly wider camera angle that made it look a little bit like Fire Pro the game. I did I did catch that, yeah. So that was, I'll give them points for ingenuity on that one. It made it look really good. You could see every single wrestler in the ring. That was just a really nice sort of production note. There you go. If I may say, what a concept trying to fill out three hours of a wrestling show. I don't know if any current organization does that these days, trying to fill out three hours on Monday. I don't think any wrestling show should ever try and fill out three hours. I agree. Well, I, <laughs> I concur. I concur. And 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 the thing is, I mean, Dan and I have really been looking forward to that Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara episode where it jumps down to two hours. Mm. Because you know we, we've we've sat through some of these three-hour nitros and they are hard going. And obviously, I, I get that feeling when I watch Raw, but you, you just get the feeling that that no one knows how to do it well. And Credit to AEW, they've been offered this extra hour, but they've been very firm and we do not want that tacking on to what we have at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Three hours is no one's ever been able to to work it really well. So, Dan, do you agree that this should go on our top five? It wasn't on my original top five list, but it was meant to be. Yes. Uh I'll be honest, by the, time I, by the time I got to the end of this episode, I was bleary-eyed and wondering what the hell I just watched. <laughs> Superb. So we've got the first one. So, Dan, what's your first one? Oh, God, I have to do the, the bit with the thinking. Right, I'm going to get a uh, another match, but this was one that I really enjoyed because it featured a friend of the show. Well, I say friend, he doesn't know he's a friend of the show. It's Johnny Swinger versus Prince Iakea. And before I'd even watched the match, I had this, uh, I had this earmark for match of the night because it's the Swingman. And you got to love the Swingman. I mean, you know, I, me and Rob both love his work on on uh, on Impact. And it's just kind of... Because Johnny Swinger seems to have actually got better with age and he was no slouch in this match, really. It was solid enough for Prince Iakea. They came in with... With no build, Johnny Swinger looked absolutely fabulous with his uh, sparkly, tasselly shawl thing. Prince Ikea comes out looking like an absolute fucking hard bastard unit. But Swinger in this match was just 
he's just a great heel in the beginning, though, when he's just sort of noping out of the lockups and you know taking time to fix his hair or and even just chilling in the corner beforehand, looking like somebody brought Drew McIntyre off Wish. He's just a great wind-up merchant. But when it came to it, he, you know, gave you know he gave as good as he got. It was a decent physical contest. It don't get me wrong; it's not the best match in the world, but as a as a decent mid-card match, it was brilliant. And like I say, it, I, I've mostly brought in for Johnny Swinger, but you know they were involved with the uh, with the ICP and Vampiro storyline, which uh, you know it, it, it dragged that on. Uh, the crowd weren't really into it, uh, but Swinger hit a weird like. It was a combination like cravat hold and Russian leg sweep, which I thought was pretty cool. But I just wanted to talk about Johnny Swinger for a bit. <laughs> You're right, Dan. We do love the Swingman, and he's there in his zebra tights. This match was used for Tony Schiavone to, um, yet again for the second episode that we reviewed running, fuck up the release date for WCW Mayhem on the... Uh, <laughs> On the PlayStation, N64, and other consoles. Yeah, I've, I've got this down as the piss break. It, it wasn't, though. It wasn't, because later on, I can't remember which match it was, I have actually noted down that people seem to be uh, seem to be leaving. What was it? Hugh Morris versus Perry Satin was the actual piss break, because, piss break, because there were swathes of seats empty at that yeah. point. The amount people were needing to drink during this show, there were several piss breaks. But not for Johnny Swinger. (laughs) (laughs) What what did you think of the match, Tony? From a commentating point of view, it it seemed like uh, what they were being fed was pretty... They were putting over Johnny Johnny Swinger, like as an up-and-comer and and very, you know, good at a young age kind of thing. The The thing I just couldn't... I guess because I'm just watching this on a standalone, I really didn't see anything leading up, per se, even though they may have tried to give a bit of an explanation. The whole Vampiro involvement, I just, I didn't, and the insane clown posse, I guess I just didn't know what to make of it in terms of why he felt he everybody owed him, or, you know, like, I just, I, I didn't, I really, this is probably for me, about the time I stopped watching WCW back then, so I was, I was a of a, you know, familiar with uh, Vampiro and the Insane Clown Posse get to the extent of why he was going, because he appeared a few times, including this match. So I'm like, what was, what did everybody owe him? And what did they, what did he do for them that they owed him? So, so but the match in and of itself, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, uh, like I said, Johnny, they, they, they definitely were trying to, I don't know how long he stayed in WCW or, you know, before they, you know, got sold yet they, they seem to you know they seem to be trying to get people the idea that he you know he was somebody they may, they may have been putting investment in the way I, the, the way it came over to me on commentary so that and and then he did a maneuver that I just uh, that, that Tony Schiavone didn't recognize he had to try to cover himself on it because he actually thought that uh he actually put it over that as if uh, Prince Ikea had reversed it when in actuality it was a move that. Johnny Swinger was actually performing. He actually did the maneuver, and he he had tried to cover his bases. And it was a pretty interesting... I don't know it, I don't know if it was a neck breaker or a leg sweep or something. Like I can't really recall from my head. Yeah, Tony Schiavone... Was it, the, um, was, was it the one with the uh, that I mentioned before where Swinger had the cravat, uh, like neck hold, and then hit the Russian leg yeah, sweep? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And Tony Schiavone 
like he thought it was a reverse, and then he had to try to piece it back together what he was trying to say because he first he as if he stopped Johnny Swinger's attempt, yet he had to try to piece it back together. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's a maneuver that he didn't really recognize off the top of, or right off the bat that was actually an offensive maneuver. You know, so I mean, hey, nobody's perfect either. So yeah, yeah. And then the thing is, you're not alone, Tony, with not understanding what was going on with Vampiro storyline. Uh, the last episode that we covered was uh, aired two weeks before the one that we're covering now, mm-hmm. and there was none of this on that show. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> For, so two weeks beforehand, none of this was happening. Now, granted, there's been two thunders and a nitro between these episodes, but that is not enough time to build some sort of mesmeric sort of clown mob boss. Is that what they were going for? That's as good as any way to describe it. He's a vampire who also leads a, like a clown mafia. <laughs> that, that's Like in isolation, that's what you can boil Vampiro down to in, the, in this, one, this one segment of, uh, or these few segments of Nitro. I, I just loved the way that Tony said that this was about the time that he stopped watching WCW as if Johnny Stringer and Prince IAK came out and he went, ah, that's it. <laughs> Tony, distinctly, Tony distinctly remembers watching this match and thinking and just and just hitting fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the final straw for me. When Prince IAK walked out. When Tony Schiavone, when Tony Schiavone fucked up that car. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, we've often sort of said, what is the death of WCW? And it's good that you put your uh, stake in the ground. Prince <laughs> 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 versus Johnny Swinger. <laughs> oh, we got a silver snort. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, the thing is, I, I know that this match is nothing above bang average. I just love the fact that Johnny Swinger, a man who was on one of the terrible 95 Raws, is now on a terrible 99 WCW, and yet to this day in 2021 is doing some of the best work of his career. He is. He is, bless him. I appreciate the swing man because he is an easily detestable shit brick. (laughs) So, Tony, would this Johnny Swinger versus Prince IK make your top five of the night? No. No. It doesn't make mine either. It shouldn't have made mine, but I wanted to talk about Johnny Swinger. <laughs> well, that's good. I- I'm going to change the tone now. So, people talk about the most pivotal matches in the history of wrestling. They talk about... They talk about Mick McManus versus Jackie Palo in 1964. They talk about Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks. They talk about The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hogan versus Andre, the, the matches that changed the industry. I'm going to talk about Lodi versus Evan Courageous. And there's three reasons <laughs> we'll talk about this match. Two of them are just bizarre, what the fuck. And the third one is the reason that Lodi versus Evan Courageous gets up there with all those matches I've just mentioned. This will be good. This will (laughs) be good. So the first thing to say about this is that Lodi had a fan in the crowd with a Lodi sign that said Lodi rules. And he was on the front row and he's holding his sign up and he loves Lodi. And 
Lordy gets a bit too close to this fan when he's outside the ring. And the fan's holding the sign up, but it keeps like bobbing up and down. And he accidentally hits Lordy on the head with it. And Lordy thinks he's attacking him. So he turns around and tries to grab the sign off him. And they're both holding onto this sign, and he ends up dragging him over the guardrail. And then WCW security think that this guy is trying to like get in the ring. So they come down mob handed. There's Doug Dillinger and a whole stream of security. And this is, they, they escort this guy out for attacking Lodi. And commentary are saying, you know, how, how awful it is. And it's just a fan. <laughs> and and that, you know, it's like, what the hell's going on there, sort of thing. The other thing, uh, the other secondary point was Vampiro comes down. And Vampiro, as you say, in the last two weeks, has suddenly learned the ability to hypnotize people. <laughs> he's, he's become the snake out of Jungle Book. Yeah, it's like, what? Well, he can just stare at people and, and, and he just turns them into a zombie. You know, he turned Evan Courageous into a zombie during the match and then Lodi can just pick him. It's like, what's going on? We've, we've had no evidence that Vampiro has magical, mystical powers up to this point, but he's suddenly become a master of hypnosis. But anyway, these two points, as pivotal as they are and as probably as would have made the list on their own, it's time to get serious because during this match, Lenny and Lodi got the dog's abuse from the crowd. You know, they were getting all the homophobic slurs, that kind of thing, because they were sort of, as, as we'd sort of spoke about before, they sort of walking that kind of Adrian Street line. So the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation are glad, complain about this, and they complain to Turner Television. Just to sort of go back with how this all came about, in June 1999, Lenny Lane is inspired by a Saturday Night Live vignette featuring, quote-unquote, the ambiguous gay duo. And he has this idea that they're going to create the the West Hollywood Blondes, so it's a tag team with Lodi and Lenny. And in terms of that... They, they go to Kevin Nash and said, we've got this, this idea for this tag team. And WCW management are quite reluctant about this, but Kevin Nash approves the idea that they're going to have this, as we say, Adrian Street type gimmick. And the kind of implied to be homosexual during this point, they're wearing pink trunks, they're wearing pink triangles, they've got a ponytail, they've got glitter on, etc. But Glad is going to complain and suggest boycotting WCW because the way the characters are portrayed on TV is leading the crowd to have this adverse reaction to them. And Glad is saying that that's effectively endangering gay people because potentially it's saying, you know, the crowd really enjoy it when they get beaten up, that kind of thing. And it, it's sort of reinforcing enforcing that. Now, bear in mind. This episode goes out on the 6th of September, 1999. The Washington Post speculates that this complaint by GLAD is the reason that WCW fire Eric Bischoff as the president of WCW. Eric Bischoff is going to be gone from the company within five days of this episode. In addition to that, by the 4th of October 1999, standards and practice are going to have to review all the scripts that Nitro do. So every episode of Nitro after this point, because of this incident, are going to be reviewed by standards and practices. 
So the creative going forward is going to be hamstrung in many ways because they've got additional hoops to jump through. So first of all, Bischoff's going to leave. Secondly, we've got the standards and praxis coming in. Bill Bush is going to like take over that position that Eric Bischoff is in. Bill Bush is going to come in and think we need to increase the ratings and look to bring in Russo and Ferrara. So that's going to have that whole in, you know, dynamic within that. You, you could even say with these whole dominoes falling that Russo and Ferrara leaving creative is one of the driving forces that makes the revolution want to leave WCW because of Chris Benoit's relationship with Kevin Sullivan further down the line. You have all these dominoes that fall because of Lodi versus Evan Courageous. It's a ridiculously important match for the impact it has on the industry going forward from here. That is an incredible sequence of events. And and I, I, I knew a little bit about the West Hollywood Blondes and their, their sort of origins and and and, and impacts and, and <laughs> I hesitate to use the word controversies. Mm. But the uh, I think the better way to put it would be the, the way it was received mm. by the uh, by the WCW audience. I did not realise that it went that far and that deep and, and to that extent. Eventually, they're going to strip Lodi of the Cruiserweight Championship. They're going to say that he lost the Cruiserweight Championship on a house show, which he didn't, but because of the controversy. The, the ridiculous thing is, though, even though all this is flying around, Fall Brawls on Sunday, they still go ahead with him in that gimmick on Fall Brawl on Sunday, even while all these cards are falling around around them. Consider my mind blown. I, I just didn't know to what it's like. Like Dan was saying, I, I did not know to what depths this all basically started to unravel that led to all these uh, shifting and changes within the management based upon perhaps, like you said, what the Washington, you said the Washington Post speculated that this was the catalyst for all these things to go. What? Wow. Yeah, that makes that much, much, much more, that, that brings it much more to a uh, significance, if you will. And, and to be fair, you know, Bischoff had taken that step back from creative and put Kevin Nash in charge in, in the previous cycle. And it, it also, you know, the company was losing a lot of money. So it wasn't as if Bischoff had a completely clean slate and then this happened. But right. this kind of the straw that brought the camels back. Yeah, that's the thing. There's, there's a wider discussion to be had around that, that I am... Um ill-qualified to participate in, in terms of the reception of the character. Because looking back on it I and watching it back, I absolutely adore Lenny Lane and we're, Lodi. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we've spoken about him before, haven't we, Dan? Yeah, um, I don't remember a lot of what I said last week because I was pissed. Um, but I absolutely adore the gimmick. The... the it garnered a reaction which in in purely wrestling terms is essentially a good thing the worst that me and you rob we've been in venues where wrestlers have come out to absolutely nothing yeah. Com- complete ambivalence yeah. it's just it just becomes sort of an extension of the question is is there such a thing as bad publicity 
and in this case, obviously, it can. And uh, homophobia is obviously not on, absolutely not on. So it was it was attention for all the wrong reasons. I think yeah. is the best way to put that. Yeah. I, I had a wider point, but I'll be honest, I've already had like <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm like four and a half beers in, and I'm planning on getting more. So I'm just going to shut up on that whole point before I make a complete ass of myself. Yeah, and and I think from 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 a twenty twenty one audience, I am personally I'm more than happy with you know wrestlers who are out being proud of sexuality and and whatever you know whether that actually goes into the storyline or or if it, it's completely just irrelevant. But at this point, it, it's just sad that someone could be perceived as a heel just because of what they they were portraying the sexuality as. You you spot on with that, Rob. Well, I mean, look at look at how look at the work Sonya Deville's doing now. Yeah. For the, the first you know first first openly out uh, wrestler on WWE's roster, and she's well, she's just incredible. Uh, the, yeah. There's I, I still think now, and I thought this when she was in a, in, in NXT that it wouldn't have taken much effort. For her to be a legitimate contender for uh, to go against Ronda Rousey, given her MMA background, given the fact that she's a legit badass, that's all that matters. Yeah. So, do we agree that uh, Lordy versus Evan Career just needs to be one of the uh, top five? Based upon what you have just, uh, what you were describing, how you laid out the uh, backstory, yeah, I think I would, I would agree because of all the. Uh, Moving parts, I would agree that it could be it could be in the top five. Yeah, like I said, Rob, that was just a phenomenal amount of research and, and just some mind blowing oh, information. Yes. But uh, but no, because uh, it was a crap match. <laughs> no, I, I, I kid, I kid. Um, sorry, I we, we, we've been so we've been so heavy for so long. I got um, you know, I just had to I just had to put something in. But uh, yeah, it's not something I consider even knew about. So yeah, it's got to be uh, it's got to be in there. I have, I, have a, I have a quick question before we, we move on about the uh, 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 Lodi, the, the Lodi match. The fan, wasn't it a, wait, was it Lenny Lane or Lodi that was having the match? It was Lodi and Lenny Lane was managing him. Okay, so was it? So, so it, was, it was Lenny Lane that, was it Lenny Lane that grabbed the guy and dragged him over the rail? Oh, so I, 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 I thought it was a plant. I, 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 that's what I was getting towards. Thank you. That's what I was getting towards. I thought it was a plant. Well, it, it could well it could have been. But as I say, I bulletproofed this point with three reasons it needed to be on the list. <laughs> so, what's your next one, Tony? The overarching main storyline of the three hours per se was the Lex Luger Hogan Sting like scandal or or, or who done it or who did. Is Hogan uh, trying to take Sting out kind of thing? Because, again, I, uh, I did around this time stop watching. So I going back and, re- you know, reviewing it, it's like, oh, that's right. Hogan went and reverted back to the red and yellow. And here you had this still playing off of his previous heel uh, run, you know, like, oh, can he be trusted? And then Luger's trying to stir the pot kind of thing throughout the you know, the different segments overarching. So that would be my third. Yeah, the uh, Luger, Sting, and Hogan kind of issues. 
this really touches on one of the things we mentioned in the last episode, how it, it felt like this period had kind of reset and gone back to maybe 95, 96 WCW with this whole Luger and Sting and Can You Trust Hogan, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It felt like a storyline we'd seen before. The one thing I'd say about this is that the Luger heel turn at the end where he, he hits Sting was kind of that essence that made me want to watch the next show. Okay. So a lot of this show was, wasn't was great, but I, I felt... But hang on, Luger hit Sting? Yes. I, I'd completely stopped paying attention. Uh, well, it was like <laughs> 10 seconds of the show. Oh right, I, I might have turned it off by that point. As soon as that nitro sign comes up, I think, great, fuck it, done, bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it, Rob, I've done it again. The best, the best 10 seconds of the show when you missed it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the sad, thing, the sad thing is, in the whole thing, like, with Hogan's reversion back to the uh, the red and yellow, Luke is the only one just sort of stood there, just going, "You do remember this guy was a dick like five minutes ago." <laughs> yeah. And Hogan says, "Well, brother, I say my prayers. I take my vitamins, brother. I've spent the last seven years being an asshole, brother. But brother, 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 swear on my brother's kids' brother's life, brother. Fuck off, you fucking overstuffed hot dog looking." Bell cheddar wankster in ass wipe. He references his son again, doesn't he? I wouldn't double cross Nitro Nick. Oh, yes. fuck off. Yeah, but was that was that the nitrous oxide that led to that fucking car crash that your boy killed someone in, you fucking prick? Well, allegedly. For me, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm gauging that that Dan is not really big on Hulk Hogan. Am I <laughs> am I comprehending this? Dan's been drinking and Hulk Hogan came up. (laughs) (laughs) What a a, a clash. (laughs) Yeah, just be thankful we weren't talking about Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, that obsolete mule. Okay, I digress. (laughs) Old, old, old feelings were revved up by that name, so I'll stand back now, (laughs) right? We have kind of mentioned this in previous shows because... I mean, Hulk Hogan's like the, in, in the red and yellow, is like the all-American hero. And we completely understand that an American audience really buys into that. And the way to compare, you know, the, the way that sort of we see it, that time in WWF when Bret Hart was a heel in America, but a face in Canada, you know, we were 100% behind the hearts and Team Canada. <laughs> In that, you know, because because we've watched this wrestling and, you know, I mean, WWF had come along and, and this was after World of Sport had kind of disappeared and we'd kind of lost our own wrestling. And mm. with the greatest respect in the world, you know, when someone's saying, yay, America's brilliant, we're like, we're on team the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Robert, it speaks to, it's a wider cultural thing, like, America, in terms of being a country, it is relatively young. Yes, it is. Britain has a very long, storied, sordid history of imperialism and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And anybody who 
sort of reads into the wider history of Britain uh, or England, Britain, whatever. Kind is kind of aware that we have been colossal dickbags. It's why we get no votes on Eurovision. Yeah, exactly. And you know, not to get too political, but recent recent events proved that certain referendums and whatnot. So it's just kind of like there's a large swathe of the British public that is acutely aware of how shit Britain can be. Yeah. And 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 don't get me wrong, there's a there's a large there's a large swathe of Americans, and many of whom I know and, and, and friends with who acknowledge how shit America can be. But there's still a very and I don't know if it's just what we see in our media over here, but there's still a very sort of wide section of the uh, you know the chest beating, bleeding red, white, and blue, the 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 thing the, the sort of America thing that's mocked in in Team America that goes on, but it seems to be more prevalent in America, or certainly in in years gone, it was more prevalent in America than it was over here. Although we we won't get into the rise of nationalism in Britain because that'd uh, that'd be a completely different podcast. <laughs> yes, it's Simpsons podcast because we don't get political on here. But when we're on that nineties wrestling podcast, yeah, when, when I'm on a podcast that doesn't have my name on it, <laughs> coming from a, a, a the American perspective, as well as I am by default an American because I was born and raised in the same town I've lived in all my life, I. As I've grown older, again, did I really, when we were all, I mean, could I, I mean, if I don't speak too presumptuously, when we were children, do we even really gather what that's about, except say, we know where, you know, where, if there was a wrestler, for example, from your end, to be like the British Bulldog, he was very much, you know, uh, Dave Boy Smith or the British Bulldogs, they were very much mm-hmm. centered about the Britain, the British heritage and British pride, if you will. When we're children, like, do we really get that, except for, oh, He's, he's waving the flag of the country I'm from. As you get older, it's like, to me, from, from Americans, I'm not all about, I just, when, when watching, like, for, for example, wrestling, I'm not about, it doesn't do me anything that, oh, America, you know, like, like I look back at it, and I kind of laugh about the Hogan, you know, yeah. uh, I, I laugh, I was like, really? It's like, because to your point, the government that represents America is not something to be rah-rahing about, you know, the, you know, from this perspective, or from my perspective, it's like, I don't rah rah about. So basically, you're going to have a wrestler that's going to try to take there and take on that uh, charge per se. It's like, okay, well, it, 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 like for example, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle would take on that. You know, he had the coverage. You know what? He he didn't sit there and basically like like go all the way. And like Hogan was like, you know, like uh, I'm your hero. He did it in, like to Kurt Angle's credit. He did it in a manner that basically he he was. He felt entitled to actually be receiving that and try to play into the heel aspect of it, where Hogan was mm-hmm. thinking that you know I should be your champion for you know. And it just, I just never really, as I got older, I was like, I, that whole thing about you know America and this, it's like, just leave that all out because it actually brings more. If you got people who are actually into that, and then you're gonna have these clashes, like it brings too much division. That's my take, and I will refrain from there. That's just too much division. Let's let enjoy something without having too much this is where we try we watch to escape from these kind of things you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. just yeah. for a moment in time and yet they want to they want to embed it in there so that's yeah I'd, I'd rather enjoy just simple things before anything else yeah so completely agree and it's you know back in back in the 80s and and, and the 90s to a degree that was 
sort of the done thing. You know, it was the uh, it was the invading heels. You had, I think, going way way back, you had the you know the Russian threat where the the heels were always Russian. You had Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, when Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer in the first Gulf War. Going even further back, you had the Von Erichs. You had Fritz Von Erich playing a Nazi, mm-hmm. basically. That's what gathered a face reaction at the time. And it's become the sort of, well, at least from a British perspective, the sort of tub-thumping, chest-beating, mm-hmm. sort of nationalist pop has become very passé and, and outdated, which certain EVPs in certain wrestling companies have tried to revive in recent weeks and uh, just yeah. ended up looking like characters in uh, in Amazon Prime television television shows that are massively egotistical and masturbate off tall buildings. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I've lost my original point. I just wanted to take a shot at Cody because that was fucking shit. <laughs> well, there's a special beer by Top Rope Brewing called Shitty Neck Tattoo that you can get. <laughs> I, I do believe I referenced that. Yeah, the American Nightmare Stout that was that promised a lot and was absolutely terrible. I just want AEW to be good. I agree. I can agree with that. So, Dan, um, well, it's, on, it's on my top five, to be perfectly honest, but would you put the Lex Luger, Sting, Hogan, Hummer storyline on your top five, Dan? Well, I did actually have Hogan's promo uh, uh, down as a, uh, a negative. Because yep. it, on something that we've discussed before, it goes back to that disparity in tone of the show where you've got Hogan in the, the red and yellow feeling very, very 80s. Certain elements of the show feeling more up to date for the time. And it just being the inverse of a, of a 1995 Raw. You know, it's a split personality. Everything feels uh, a little broken, if you will. Ah. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but not in a good way. So I would happily concede my, uh, my Hogan promo point to be part of the, uh, the wider angle. Um, yeah. But if, if, we, if we're going to talk about that, I think we'd be remiss not to mention the uh, completely pointless brief cage match at the end. Oh, yeah, that that I, that was uh, that was yeah. Oh my goodness, what a it was like what, five minutes or ten minutes of nothing. I, I don't even know what 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 the, what the point of that was. It felt like somebody somebody thought, Do you know what we need? War games, but small. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it, it looked like a Brit rest ring, didn't it? I mean. It was, <laughs> let, let's confine these men in the smallest place possible. And not only that, these enormous men. Yeah. Because this, I think, who was in the match? Let me just have a quick look. I think the smallest man in the match was Rick Steiner. Yeah, it was Sting, Rick Steiner, and DDP versus Hulk Hogan and Goldberg. I've got a look, you know, I mean, the amount of star power in this match, this is what the crowd came to see. It's even at WCW at this point. This is a big deal compared to the rest of it. Oh, easily, undoubtedly, this is the this is the attraction. Yeah, definitely is, and we got to see a lot of the greatest hits of these guys. We got to see, you know, Hogan doing the big leg drop, Goldberg doing the spear, Mm. you know, know, DDP doing a diamond cutter, all this sort of stuff just just rolled into it. it. It it was kind of a, you know, if you go and see. A rock band and they're the playing the greatest hits. But... It was right. Do you know what it was? Right. You, you say about watching a rock band. Ramstein 
as an example, because it's the first band that springs to mind that put on an amazing pyrotechnic show. It was this, this match was the equivalent of Ramstein playing in a building that had a ten foot ceiling. <laughs> because because the roof of that cage just yeah. It, yeah. It, it ruined everything. You've got dudes. You've got Sid Vicious who's six foot nine. You've got Hogan who's six six. I think again the shortest man in this match is Rick Steiner, who's probably a solid six two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe DDP taller. Had, DDP had to crouch when he got on the top rope. Yeah. in the top of the cage. He was squat. He was squatting down like like an unmasked spy, uh, Spider Man with noodles on his head. <laughs> Just uh, and, and and yet the thing is, this match. Not to give too much away. But I will come back to this match when we get to our awards, our awards section, because there was one notable thing in this, but I don't want to give it away. That's something you look forward to. So, what's your next point, Dan? Oh God, I've got to talk about more about this show. All right. You've missed the best moment of this show. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm coming to that right. later. Well, well, I'll, well. If you're not raising it, I am. Right. I'm actually. Do you know? I'm going to change tack completely, and I'm going to talk about something that I actually liked. And it was the Berlin promo. Hmm. And I enjoyed this partly because it was an absolute car crash uh, at points, but also because we, we watched the final Nitro, uh, last episode we reviewed was the final Nitro before before Berlin's debut. And I spoke about how it was an incredible departure in character for Alex Wright. He'd completely changed his look, completely changed his demeanour, absolute massive repackage. Uh, so it was actually, it was very nice to see this in action. Can't decide if this is positive or negative, but it was definitely notable because you've got Mean Gene there, and bless him, I love Mean Gene. Mean Gene is, until any allegations come out of him, because it's wrestling and that's how it works, until any allegations come out about him, Mean Gene is a treasure. Oh, yeah. But in 1999... I think we said last episode, Robert, he just doesn't work, bless him. Yeah, but, I mean, you consider what we've seen on the other channel at this point. Yeah, exactly. So Mean Gene introduces Berlin. The one one touch I really did like was that Berlin's uh, security guard comes out and actually frisks Mean Gene. Yeah, but mean do you G- know what it's called, Dan? No. Berlin's security guard is called The Wall. Yeah. That's, that's, oh, that's, it's that cunt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, I suddenly like him less. Um, <laughs> Bring on the ball. <laughs> but did you have to, what, to... So to beat him, all he had to do was make certain shapes and just pass through it. I think there's a version of that game that's been put up in America because it sounds familiar. Like you get, you're like, it's like, you, like the, the wall's moving and you got to try to get in between the hole in the wall kind of thing? Yeah, yeah you got to fit, fit your body to the hole in the wall. To be, yeah. fair, Ameri- Amer- to be fair, America probably did it first. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a swimming pool behind them, isn't there? So if they don't, and then they, if they don't make it to the wall, they get they get locked into this pool of water or something. I think, yeah, I, yeah I'm somewhat familiar with this concept. <laughs> so now you have Berlin, the wall, and yeah. <laughs> they were ahead of, they were ahead of their time. They could have gone uh, on a, on a, on a splurge of different ideas just off the Berlin Wall connection. Oh, and oh, they, they did they did that in the in the last episode we reviewed. Because they actually part of the vignettes was was showing the Berlin Wall being uh, being taken down. There you go. 
So, and if, Millwall, you know. if Millwall Chris is listening, it could be about Millwall. No, it can't. Millwall shit. So anyway, so me, me and June gets frisked, which I thought was a nice touch. June asks some, uh, asks whether it's Frau or Fraulein, and the interpreter says, "Well, that's none of your business." Yes. Which I thought was pretty funny. He asks Berlin directly about Bagwell's challenge. Berlin uh, answers in German. Has his interpreter translate for him, you know, challenging, you know, he challenged Bagwell backstage before Bagwell challenged him, which American fans seem to not like and dispute. Gene gets all indignant about foreign languages. Berlin interrupts him, Gene gets pissy again, and then it turns out Berlin was saying that all Americans should learn to speak German, which again got big heat. Saying it, and then through the interpreter saying it would improve your mind and keep you from making mistakes. The strength of Germany comes from its people, its culture, its mentality. Berlin is the master of the German machine, blah, 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 blah. Jim dresses Berlin being able to speak English and saying it's, you know, this is ridiculous, which I, which was actually one of the best things Gene has said <laughs> in the most recent Nitrous, because he's just like, the dude understands me. Why why can't he answer me? But also, it's a, it's a you know, from a heel perspective, it, it's a weird thing because I just spent the whole the whole time uh, like just sort of bagging on uh, Hogan for taking the uh, you know the red white and blue stands and it all being passe, but I really like what Berlin's been doing what Ber- what they're doing with Berlin here with the interpreter because yeah. it's essentially just a big fuck you. Well, hmm. I wish they'd have more interpreters in wrestling because you get wrestlers, especially in WWE, you get wrestlers who. English isn't necessarily the strong point, and then they make them cut promos. And you think, you know, they would never do this to a football, for for your sake, Tony, a a soccer player, who, mm. you know, if they had like like Marcelo Bielsa, famous football manager uh, in this country, there is no way that even though he can speak English, he always does his interviews with an interpreter. Because they don't want to make him look stupid on television. Uh, with with Bielsa, it's because he Bielsa is such a perfectionist. He doesn't want to give any interview in English until he's fully confident that he can speak perfect English. And he's too busy spying on other clubs' tactics. But, um, Only Frank Lampard. Certainly, you know, we used to seeing that in other sports. There's no way that they, they would expose someone who can't speak the language well without an interpreter. And I would love to see that in wrestling. I think that would work really well, but for some reason it, they just don't. But it was well, quite the, nice. well, but you say that, you say that. Well, they've got um, on AEW, they've got what's his chops with uh, Penta. Yes, Alex uh, Abrahentes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So there, there is an, an example right there. I mean, that could perhaps lead a uh, a, a trend. Perhaps that could start a, a sort of trend of some sorts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, I, 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 and, and to be fair, I do, I do believe part of part of Zelina Vega's uh, role with uh, with Andrade. She wasn't an out and out interpreter, but she was certainly the mouthpiece because um, because I don't think Andrade was um, was uh, was fully equipped, shall we say, to do. Uh, to a full promo in English. Yeah. So sorry to shit on your point. I think it would be really good. I think there's certain talents that would would work very well with. You don't need, you know, you, well, I think there should be more managers in wrestling. Anyway. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, That's something we lost. Yeah. 
That's yeah, a lost that. I agree with the Berlin promo. I, th- I think it should be in there. It, it, yeah, it's that, that line of what Mean Gene's doing. It, it's, should he just be sort of more accepting of Berlin's gimmick sort of thing? But the thing that, you know, and, and I guess this falls in the production category, because you've got this WCW logo that sort of splits out and closes when they come in, when they walk off, they all end up walking off together and you can see them going off yeah. together behind the stage, mm. even though they've fallen out. And it, it just, <laughs> yeah, the crappiness of the set uh, really let them down with that. But I'd put it on my top five. What do you think about the Berlin promo? Well, um, it was a highlight for me. Uh, I would have, I probably, it would have been in my, when, when you would have came to me, like you were doing before, I, I would have, it was a highlight for me. It was like the mean gene interaction definitely, uh, Pop me uh, like the way he was uh, bantering back and forth, and when you just mentioned about the uh, uh, Rob about the uh, uh, the set, that was probably one of the down points too. For uh, it just wasn't Prince Iakea, dang it! It just wasn't Prince Iakea. <laughs> that, that, that set was never something I enjoyed. I, I, when I think of Nitro, I think of the the well, overhang, like the, the ramp, you know, and you know that that the, just the original set, basically. You know what I mean per se. Yeah, yeah. That that was just that that opening. We that discussed was... the exact same thing last week with uh, with Wing Commander Nash. I think what what was it called, Rob? The uh, the with the C. It was called the Hanging Bollock. So the basically, like the Hanging Testicle. Yeah. It's <laughs> awful. Um, I mean, the branding department needs a slap <laughs> with a brick. So I mean. I, I do, I do, agree, I do agree. With like, and uh, I say, Dan, I, I wouldn't. Say, it was, it was there in my mind, and then you, your review of it, and your viewpoint of it, and your uh, articulation. It, I would say, I agree with the uh, looking, thinking back. I was like, yeah, I actually got a few guffaws from it, and and, and also just that contrast, like you were mentioning, uh, Dan, about from what they had presented, Das Wonderkin before, to what he was being presented now. Okay, it, it's going to if people are watching from a week to week basis, year to year basis, you're going to say it's going to catch somebody's eye. Like, what, that's the guy that used to come out and dance and smile, yeah. and now yeah, so so yeah, I would say yeah, I agree. I agree with the promo being a highlight. I do love anything involving Alex Wright as well because a, a friend of mine who who within the last eighteen months uh, actually retired from wrestling. Uh, my friend Dom, he uh, he actually trained quite extensively with Alex Wright. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, he went over to uh, to a few camps in Germany and and trained with him. And just apparently, Alex Wright, like I say, it's obviously you know just reported from my friend. Alex Wright, super nice person, great okay. trainer. All so right, yeah, it's just go. it's just great to see him doing uh, doing this work in his heyday. All right, there you go. I didn't. Know, that's something I didn't. I did not know that that was well not, that he was a wrestling trainer that you know I, I yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's still active in europe yeah uh training oh, okay all right that's good that's good i mean that's that's a definite benefit for those who you know that would come to try to learn that that trade to be that he's actually able to give back like that you know what i mean that's good mm-hmm. that keeps it keeps it flowing that way that's good yeah so it looks like everyone's refreshed the drinks uh, so at the moment i'm on sateen by salt brewery Yes, I have raided Salt Brewery for their range this evening. It's a 4.3% double pale ale. It's, it's all right. I've, middle of the road. It's class, classic sort of uh, pale ale, so it's only getting 25 from me on taps. 
And then next, I'm going to go into a Citra, which is a New England IPA junior, apparently. So it feels very Lucha Libre having junior after it. <laughs> Nipa junior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously, there's no shame in it all. You can drink whatever you want on this podcast. Um, I don't believe you're uh, partaking of an alcoholic beverage, Tony. Ah, uh, no. At this moment, I am not indulging in the uh, adult libation, no. I was going to say, it, it is a lot earlier in the evening for you than it is for us, though, in all fairness. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Yes, the different time zone on this plane of reality, yes. Uh, I am indulging in a uh, Tropicana fruit punch. Uh, I am I, I am uh, just fresh off of work uh, a few hours ago, so, I mean, some people might actually go running to a... Uh, a, a bar or a uh, uh, to the uh, the establishment that sells it. Uh, me, I just needed to get home <laughs> from a long week, so just a Tropicana fruit punch for the time being. Tomorrow may be a different story, yet not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do, you brother. It's all good because I am a piss can, for lack of a better word. I've, I polished off all the beers that I uh, that I mentioned earlier. I've since necked a Northern Monk Northern Star chocolate caramel biscuit porter. Uh, 5.2%, very nice, one I've had before. Uh, I've also had a Faith in a Northern Monk Faith in Futures uh, dual dry hopped IPA, 6.5%, again, very good, because Northern Monk just, to my eyes, don't make bad beer. And now I am indulging in oh. some of uh, my mate Gary's uh, home-brewed mead, the, uh, the same guy who gave me the alleged 9% cider last week. Thankfully, I didn't go blind with the cider. The mead may be a different story. So, as usual, quality podcasting entertainment. I'm going to drink something that somebody made in their bedroom and uh, see if I go blind. To be fair, I, I know someone who makes uh, mead, so maybe at one point we can compare uh, Gary to Gerard's mead and see who makes the best mead. <laughs> Ooh, uh, Gerard. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary. Uh, the, the, cider was, the cider was nice. The mead isn't to my tastes shall we say i'm going to finish it because you you were kind enough to gift it me but the uh, my esteemed co-host and guest may see some very strange facial expressions from me in the next uh, the next 20 minutes or so to, to be fair gerard has given me beer before but he, he just gave me loads of heineken because uh, uh, he had loads left over because that's all his brother drank so he, he had a little <laughs> like a boxing when he'd come over from holland to visit him so I got because Gerard wasn't touching that with the barge pole, but I have no standards. Did, um, did, did, did he did he class it as laughable piss? Yeah, he did. He did. But but I'm I'm a laughable person. Talking about <laughs> talking about laughable piss and, and things to laugh about. I am going for one of the most joyful moments of this show. I am going for Vincent, aka Virgil, styling it out and trying to be a West Texas. Fan. So. Bobby Duncombe Jr. is out injured and Kurt Hennings there backstage lamenting about what are they going to do because they're a man down. You know, they're a faction of four people and one of them is out injured. And then Vincent just bursts into the room. He's wearing a cowboy hat. Backlit. He's backlit and there is smoke. And he says, I've been listening to Rap is Crap in my pickup truck and I need your new tape. So he wants a tape of good old boys because he's worn out his rap is crap tape. So it sounds very much like Wing Commander Nash's workout tape. 
and he says, Vincent says, I'm from the south part, I'm from the south side, I'm the biggest redneck in the world. And Kendall Wyndham says, the south side of what? New York. <laughs> and for some reason, the West Texas rednecks uh, are like, yeah, you know, come on in. Kurt Henning says that he's got to prove that he's a redneck and tonight's his uh, opportunity. And for no apparent reason other than he was the only person sitting around in catering. Vincent <laughs> is now a member of the West Texas Rednecks. I choose to believe that because Vincent wanted to prove he was a redneck, that I, I don't know, the problem made him make some moonshine and shag his sister. <laughs> Hi, American listeners. Love you all. And we would untap that moonshine. I have, I have half a jar of moonshine in my, uh, in my liquor cabinet. It, it, it's the bullshit mass-produced moonshine. It's only like 50%. I know for a fact that it doesn't make you go blind, but my plan is to keep it for so long that in an emergency I can fuel my car with it. <laughs> <laughs> I take a swig out of it once a year just to test it. What, what do you guys think about Vincent's bold move to join the West <laughs> Texas Rednecks? Go ahead, Dan. I think, oh, I think you can fuck off. <laughs> Succinct and to the point. <laughs> I, I I hated the West Texas Rednecks last week. I hate them even more this week. I am so sick of hearing that goddamn bullshit fucking theme song that had the paedophile fucking music video. Oh, I'm not familiar. With, I'm not familiar with the music video. I'm basing those allegations on one particular moment in the music video where the lyrics say something about, you know, they're just good old boys. They're like women who know how to, and they leave, uh, you know, they leave a suggestive pause. But at that moment in the video, it decides to cut to, it decides to cut to footage of a child. Oh boy. Bad timing. Bad editing. Bad editing, very bad timing. Uh, but I have decided that the West Texas Rednecks, apart from Kurt Hennig, uh, were probably paedophiles. Wow, Barry, Barry Windham in this there. Is, this is fresh, fresh to me. I did, did completely, that, did completely, that. completely, uh, virtually baseless, spurious allegations. Completely, um, and all, and all alleged. So, did don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'm guessing Dan's not pointing it on. Did you have any opinions on this segment, Tony? Uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to compose myself after all the <laughs> observations that has just brought back. Because I'm, th- I want to go back now. I mean, my my mind is curious. I want to go back and look at this and see what I missed. <laughs> oh, let me let me compose myself. It, it wasn't no. video that, we, that the episode two weeks before this. They they, they have a video, a music video, and then they have their first live performance. And he's he's lip-syncing, fake-guitaring, fake-drumming, absolute twattery. (laughs) Now, see, no, hold on, wait, I'm trying to compose myself because, one, what Dan has just uh, pro-offered, two, I actually like the rest with the the way I I actually like the... uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sitting there, put my foot in my mouth because I can't. I, I, I'm not even drinking alcohol. I can't even get my thoughts together. <laughs> West Texas redneck. I actually did like them. This particular though, this particular instance, I when when he came uh, when uh, when they're in the back, and 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 the door opens and the silhouette and the smoke and and, and, the, and then he comes through and it's Vincent. 
I basically, I, I, I shrugged my shoulders down. Like, this is who they're trying to put into the, because again, I had no concept or, or, or comprehension that, that he actually was trying to be an honorary member or, or try to gain acceptance as a West Texas redneck. So it's like, I do remember the original, the Bobby Duncan Jr., Kendall Wendell, and Barry Wendell, and Kurt Henning. Seeing that is like, wait a minute, when did he, what was, again, to your point, Rob, was he just walking around the back? Uh, and maybe made the right turn to try to go to the bathroom and some, and he made the wrong turn and somebody said, hey, what are you doing? Come on over here. You know, I was like, <laughs> I just, yeah, this particular segment just didn't, yeah, I'd say it didn't really do much for me. Although, overall, let me reiterate, I did like the West Texas Rednecks, which is what's thrown me off that Dan has thrown out these, these suspicions. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to go back. Maybe I need to check myself. <laughs> Just West Texas Rednecks, which is bad. But again, but the th- thing is as well, I, I'm I'm coming at this from purely, from from watching it as a grown adult. If I'd have watched it when I was a kid, I might have thought different. Right. But in terms of watching it with 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 fresh eyes, I would would happily just headbutt a cinder block. <laughs> you know, we, we, we we're speaking about this, and there's been all all these releases from WWE this week. Braun Strowman and uh, Lana and Buddy Murphy, etc. There weren't any releases in WCW this week. They, they they found people backstage who had nothing to do, and they crammed <laughs> them into an angle. See, they know how to utilize. They they know how to even utilize talent, even if. Even if it wasn't the most enjoyable or more uh, getting over, at least they put them and used them, you know. And and, and and Raw is also three hours, and yet they're letting go of talent. And it's like the mind, it's the, the mind uh, sometimes the, the 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 contrast. It's the meme with the with Bart Simpson with the cake in his hands that said, "At least you tried." Right there, you go. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, we, we do say on this podcast, we always give. Any promotion credit for trying something new that always gets an, an extra point or two. It's just in this case, the, the thing started out basically there was rock bottom, 50 feet of shit, then the West Texas Rednecks. Um, I'm, I, might, I might be playing up to this a little bit now. <laughs> right. Come on, Tony. Have you, have you got any more? Any any other suggestions on your on your top five list? Bret Hart, Bret Hart's uh, appearance, return. I guess it was the way it was being uh, presented. If I if I if my mind has served me right, and the way it was being put over by commentary, it was not too long after his brother had died. Yeah, we covered that a few episodes ago when we had Matty on the show talking about over the edge. I think it was the last episode, the last Raw episode that we were going to cover that uh, that we would have to talk about Owen Hart. Yeah, I think, I think they were certainly building to Over the Edge. They, they were building to Over the Edge, but it wasn't the go home. I think it was a few weeks out. Um, but it was it was the last the last opportunity we'd have to uh, to talk about Owen. If I if I recall that that episode that we're, we're I mean what we're talking about, like Tony Schiavone was. When doing the introductions and welcoming the audience into the show, he was told he was going to send it to who did he say? I think he said he said he was going to send it to Mean Gene. 
for an interview or something, and then he got he, he got corrected, and it's like, well, no, well, I stand corrected. I've been mistaken, and because uh, Bret Hart's music played, and then he's like, well, we actually have a surprise, or you know, he had to try to cover his basis for that. Yet, uh, on the heel, like, so Bret Hart's return, I guess, from the hiatus because of the, I would, uh, 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 understandably so, is you know, the death of his brother. And how they were, how they booked that promo, where they, you know, he, he, he they actually leaned into this something that that's, that was never ever really featured, which was the reason he would come back to WCW was to face Hulk Hogan. See, and, and again, they may have had matches or had matches together like, as a team. They never had that match, you know what I mean? Like uh, that, that that stemmed from the 1993 time frame, you know, that, you know where he, you know, Hogan came back and took the title of WrestleMania 9 and all that. So that he, they actually pinpointed that that would be the reason why he, he was going to come back and, have, you know, come and return. It was to have a match against Hogan. That really caught my attention. It's like, wow, they actually were, at that moment at least, Going to actually, you're trying to build a road to kind of pursue going that direction. I don't recall if they ever really did or not. My mind would have likely have recalled that if they actually built or like a, a a singular pay per view match or something like that. So, yeah, that that, that really caught me. Uh, that caught my attention. So that's a that's the positive for me. Yeah, and we actually get a scene later in the show where into the dressing room and Hogan and Bret Hart sort of sat there talking. Mm-hmm. You know, presumably talking about having this match. I guess for Brett's point of view, that that was kind of the match that he wanted. And also, certainly up to this point in WCW, Bret Hart hadn't ever been in the main event. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he'd been kind of a mid-carrier, he'd been kind of at the US Championship level. And it's kind of maybe a statement of intent at this point, potentially promoting. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to get on my get on my soapbox in because I'm obviously a massive Bret Hart fan, and you know, since the the first time I remember watching wrestling, Bret was never. I think it's fair to say Bret was never the greatest promo guy. Mm. Yeah, you know, he had a couple of good ones here and there. So this this was a half decent Bret Hart promo, but wasn't necessarily a good promo in the grand scheme of things. Um, I thought particularly when the when he started uh, praising Hogan. You could almost hear his teeth grinding <laughs> as uh, as he had to put that forward, but you know he, he got through it. And and like I said, the, the fact that that Bret Hart versus Hogan had, hadn't happened to this point really was was a huge thing. And and Bret Hart coming back at that point, the crowd the crowd were were strange for this show. Yeah, they were they were on when they knew they were on camera. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know those crowd panning shots where they you know they want to get people hyped because they knew they were going to be on TV. Mm-hmm. They went nuts. But apart from that, it was uh, you know it wasn't as bad as Southside Rob that me and you have been to where you, you can't get a reaction out of them for loving the, for loving the money. But they were giving oh, a lot of way. That's not fair, Dan. When they play Sweet Caroline, all the Sheffield Wednesday fans were up for it. Yeah, but I'm talking about going to oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, I remember now. So yeah, Bret Hart coming back is always a good thing for me. I enjoyed it. 
but you know, elevating Bret Hart to that main event, which is somewhere he should always be, in my opinion. Yeah, I uh, I can't fault that pick. One thing that did jar me though was, uh, and it's it, it, it again sparks a wider point, but it was notable for Hart in particular. Bret Hart, we're used to that iconic guitar riff and that mm-hmm. first note, and it's instantly recognisable. His WCW theme was so generic, and I know it was because they were picking from a Turner library. But I think one of the things WCW suffered from was that they just didn't have a vast amount of entrance music that was that, that instantly gripped you. Right. It, it's that. funny you say that, though, because like, like Goldberg had been Pat Tanaka's WCW theme, and it's just been for this jobber, and then all of a sudden it gets put with Goldberg, and when you put that in the context of this guy that's running through the roster... The two kind of marry together, and this generic theme becomes iconic because it's positioned with this wrestler that's running. But it's also, but, but it's also lightning in a bottle. You know, the, the whole Goldberg gimmick, and then by extension, everything that's that's associated with him. And and like I said, the theme fit; it just fit. But as far as music goes, they were throwing a lot of shit against the wall and hoping it'd stick. Yeah, that was one of the things that they lacked. If you want to say in presentation, you know, again, mm. we're going back yeah. to that time during the Monday Night War Attitude Era. That was one of the things that WCW, I think, paled in comparison to, if you're going to make the comparison to WWE. I mean, Jim Johnston, is that John? Yeah. I mean, you can see the, the catalog that he helped to produce in terms of entrance themes. I mean, he was, he was uh, miles ahead of whoever, whatever, like you said, the Turner archive, you know, it just, yeah, those W lacked big time when it came to that. With a few exceptions, Goldberg being a highlight right there. You know, then again, also the whole presentation and like Dan said, lightning in a bottle and just it just merged. Yet WCW always seemed they seemed to lack so much of their entrance music. It was like, and a lot of them was on display in this episode for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing, I guess the thing is with WCW, some of the iconic themes, like, I mean, Hogan had Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Child when he was in NWO, and it was kind of a mashup of Jimi Hendrix riffs for the NWO themes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, DDP had the Nirvana ripoff, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there the, the were some iconic themes, but kind of iconic because. They remind you of something else. Yeah, stolen from iconic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But you look at the likes of you had your Goldberg Sting. Um, there was, but the, I would happily never remember that bullshit. <laughs> well, that's Mister. Uh, what happened? What, what, what would you not want to miss? The American uh, Males fame. I will drink. I will drink. I will drink this piss-tasting mead just to erase that from my memory. Gary, it doesn't taste like piss. It's not that bad. It's, it's... Or Dan, you will you will indulge in that adult libation. So from your numa, it shall be deleted. <laughs> what Tony said. It looks like I'm drinking grosh. What's wrong? What's wrong? It looks like he's going to put the bottle caps on his trainers and 
be a member of New Kids. This is, I, I will have you know, this is a Flensburger beer bottle uh, origin. Yeah. And now it's got, uh, and now it's got mead that was made in uh, Gary's bedroom. And stolen gross bottle caps. What is wrong with the American meals? It's crap. <laughs> oh, it's iconic. Uh, it's, it's just American meals. American meals. Piss off. Yeah, you just hate Buff Bagwell. That's your problem. I do it's, hate Buff Bagwell. That, that's He's my, a piece that's of why shit. Berlin. Oh. Because it's, uh... oh, I'm having a, I'm having a blast uh, <laughs> taking the piss and ripping down the American meals. And you try to drink a beer to, for, to, to wash it away, and I just keep bringing it back. <laughs> Uh, I love it, mate. I love it, mate. This is why we brought you in. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll continue, Rob. Please. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say, Tony, uh, this is on my top five. So, is Bret Hart's return on your? Oh. Top five? Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's four out of five. Actually, that would be five out of five. If we, uh... Ooh, right. I do have one thing to bring up as a negative that I would like to throw out there for consideration to the rest of uh, to the rest of the group. Is, is it me next? It is you next. Oh, how about that? I remember, <laughs> I remember I remember the running order. It's the Nitro Girl search. I have that as my uh, well, I've gone through my top 5 now, but that was my honorable I don't know if honourable is the right word. <laughs> no, it's definitely not honourable. Um, I will read verbatim the notes I took for this segment, uh, at least so for a couple of sentences. So the segment starts. Who the fuck is this douchebag in the ill-fitting shirt and suit with the shit haircut? Get fucked, Ricky Rapid, you cunt with this harsh shit. No, 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 Nitro Girls, fuck off. Yeah, I, I just the way that they, they had the first finalist for the Nitro Girls, Zuli Mertes, did this whole video package about how she spoke sign language. And, she seemed like a wonderful human yeah, being. Yeah, she seemed like a wonderful human being. And it, she said that if she ever saw anyone speaking sign language or whatever, she'd go over and chat to them in sign language. And, and you know, you just thought that was brilliant. And then he returns to Ricky Rackman. And he goes, oh, yeah, you like that, don't you? You're sexualizing a woman that can speak something. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just disgusting. The whole segment made, like, you know when you burp and you do a little bit of a sick in the back of your mouth? <laughs> yeah. That's what this whole segment was. It was just skeevy fucking harsh shit. Yeah. I, what, I, what I didn't grasp was... The inclusion, and again, back to uh, departing regularly, aspying at that time. When did Ricky Rackman be- uh, uh, become included as a announcer, or not announcer, like a, a interviewer or presenter? Because previous to that, he had had the gig on, if I recall, MTV as a DJ. I think he'd done some of like the. Um... Thunder and worldwide stuff. I think this might actually be his first appearance on Nitro. I don't know. Is it, is it, is it, can it be? I mean, at, at your disposal, anyone of you can it be known how long he lasted? 
not long. <laughs> there's a reason for that because that when you bring that, there's a reason for that because his, from what Dan was saying and 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 you know how he's describing it, it was just what's what's the phrase they use? These kids use it, cringeworthy, cringe. You know, it, yeah. it, it was. I just when I'm watching it, I'm like. Nothing again, like to your point. Nothing against the contestants or or first whatever they the finalists, whatever. Nothing against them. Just this whole him and being. It just didn't. It's like kind of like a, a fish out of water, kind of like you. You just didn't match. It didn't match the yeah. WCW presentation with this hipster wannabe. I don't know. It just didn't really register me. Yeah, well, you, you had you had uh, Ricky. What, what's his last name? I thought he said his name was Ricky Rapid. Uh, Rackman. Oh, Ricky Rackman. That just shows how much I was listening to the fucking prick. You had him basically being like a Jerry Lawler level sleaze bag. Nah, throughout the whole thing, and yet you've got the contestant, and it goes back to disparity in tone because you've got then you've got the first uh, first contest, uh, first finalist Zuli. Who's coming in? You know, talking all the wholesome stuff about knowing mm. sign language and and be you know wanting to dance and all of that. And then you have the the second uh, finalist, Erica. She didn't know w, about WCW, didn't know about wrestling, but she saw the Nitro Girls and she she's aspiring to be a dancer anyway. And she sees this as a way to further to further that career. Mm. And then you've got this skeevy cunt basically with his hand in his pocket, yanking his cock over it all. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Ratman was awful. I did actually think that, you know, if if I'd have been producing that segment for Erica and she'd said she'd never watched Nitro before, I would have gone, can you just do that again and not shit on the product? But pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's that as well, yeah. They're, they're, kind of, they're kind of putting half a nail in their own coffin. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, and, and, and they're trying to have Kimberly there to balance it out, but... She 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 obviously had to. I don't want to say had to because I don't know the circumstances, but it felt like she was sort of towing the company line and just think, going along with it. I think to be fair to Kimberly, you know, Kimberly had carved out this niche for herself as like the, the head Nitro girl and stuff, and I think she was really proud of what she'd accomplished. Yeah, no, that, yeah. So that that's fair enough. Again, I think the I think the booze is getting to me at this point. So maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm just being overly negative. But I, I I don't I don't I don't think Kimberly saw it as an overly sexualized thing. I think she saw that as a serious, you know, like Pam's people on top of the pops in the seventies or whatever. I think she saw saw it in that that vein. Mm. Yeah, maybe, and maybe that's how that's how it was sold to her, but. And and again, it, it's just a, I think it's another one of those sign of the times things. You know, we've talked previously on Raw about the um, you know the the Mero and, and Sable and Jacqueline stuff and and things of that ilk. You know that that it would have been perfectly acceptable at the time to do something like this, and then it would have been maybe it would have probably been entertaining, but. With twenty twenty one eyes looking back, it uh, yeah. use the word again. It comes back. It comes across as skeevy horse shit. Yep, hindsight is twenty twenty. Really all twenty, all twenty twenty one. There you go. There hey. you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's your thoughts, Tony? <sighs> the on the Nitro Girls. 
Oh, the mean on the uh, the segment with uh, yeah. Ricky Rackman. Yeah, I it did it, it uh, just I thought this is the simplest thought I probably have all night, likely have all night. It didn't do anything to me. I it was I thought it was a it was for wrestling presentation. It was a waste of time. Too much time was given to it. I guess I would say so. That's my take on it. I mean, I've gone through all my five. So, do you have any more on your list, Tony? The uh, announcement from the uh, from Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan that are carrying over through the night that they were going to that that, that they were going to, there was going to be a, a, a awarding a, a million dollars to a, a fan, which reason it stuck out to me, and I don't. I say it would be neutral. I don't, I don't know if it's a positive or negative. It's, the thing that stuck out to me is like, okay, here or there, this, this seems like, because at this time, this would have been when WWE or WWF, however you want to say it, when Raw was taking back their lead in their Monday Night Wars. So this seemed like a desperate attempt to try to buy ratings or buy fans or something, you know what I mean? That one, two, Again, I look at again hindsight being twenty twenty one. Thank you very much, Dan. <laughs> um, you look back a few, maybe what about maybe ten years ago, WWE actually did this very thing on a more on a on a weekly basis. I don't know how long this whole thing with WCW ran, yet they did this with Man's Millions. You know, they did this thing. It's like, boy, if Vince McMahon or let me toggle back into Lieutenant Silva. <gasps> that dastardly Meek Mahon would take out and, you know, say, I have uh, taken out my competition. Then if the competition did methods and tactics, tactics that, did, that, that did themselves in, per se, why would you want to pick up their own, the, 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 the tactics again? Like, they tried to do this million-dollar giveaway as a ploy to drawing fans, and then you start to employ the very things that they did. So it's like, boy, it's, uh, time is a flat circle, it seems. So that's what stuck out to me when I saw it. I was like, well, wait a minute, about 10 years later or so, Meek Mahan did the same thing, per se, by trying to buy off fans or uh, uh, ratings. So that's what stuck out to me, the, the whole announcement, and they kept highlighting it over the three-hour or whenever it was first introduced within that three-hour episode, so. And, and actually, to that point, that, that was something that did stick out to me as well. Didn't necessarily make my uh, my top five, but almost every time it was mentioned, they delivered the news or the information with the exact same enthusiasm that Bret Hart said that Hogan is one of the best in the world. <laughs> well, and it was. It, 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 it was it was very it was very muted. It was very just sort of matter of fact. Yeah, win a million dollars. Wow, a million dollars. Can you imagine what a million dollars looks like? Wow, great. Yeah, yeah. whoa. You write down that there was no feeling in it. We do see some amusing stuff from Heenan though when they're showing the uh, the VHS tapes, and they are blatantly they are blatantly just cardboard cases, but Heenan's still still stealing them. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was brilliant oh. when he when he did that VHS. Hey, 
Wait, I have to disagree. He did not steal them. He told Tony Schiavone he gave them to kids, gave them away to kids. Again, <laughs> Bobby Heenan, you can take that to the bank when he tells you what it is because to most people out here, most uh, wrestling spectators and fans, they think that Shawn Michaels threw Marjanetti through the barbershop. Bobby Heenan had it right. Marjanetti was a coward. He tried to run away. So we gotta get this straight. When he, you when Tony Schiavone said, "Oh, I already see you have your copies." No, he he gave them to the kids right down the way behind the behind the guardrails. Come on, Bobby Heenan, cross your heart, and you know he he, he's an upfront guy. I miss Bobby Heenan. Oh my goodness, man! Oh, Bobby Heenan. There'll there'll never be another like Bobby. I still to this day, any of my friends who aren't necessarily into wrestling, but are, are sort of curious about certain things. I like to show them a cut of, just show them like a best of Bobby Heenan compilation and the shit he used to talk. But then I, I show them his Hall of Fame speech. Oh boy! Oh my! What a one to the, this what, to this day. I, I've seen it seen it so many times, and I howl laughing. Oh. Absolutely howl laughing, but it never fails to choke me up when he when he gets to the oh. end. Well, and I, and I've, I've got a feeling I'm going to be emotionally compromised on the next episode because it, even all those years later, when he says when he when he chokes up and he's obviously a very sick man or has been a very sick man at the time and, and been very ill, and he just says he just he wishes Gorilla was here. Yeah, I've yeah. literally just the thought of it has sent shiver down my spine. Shiver down my spine. I. Uh, Again, you know, a lot of a lot of what he said in the late eighties, early nineties is of its time and wouldn't fly today. But the man was—he he almost gets a pass just because it's Heenan, which is right. Not not for me to say whether it's right or wrong, but he was phenomenal. Yeah. Yes. It was so yes. quick. Just, just. Yes. So sharp. Just someone could say anything to him and he'd have really talk. I'd, I'd I'd love to sit and have a just have a beer with him, sit and have a couple of drinks and just shoot the shit and just that quick wit and the storytelling just oh man. Sorry, I've we, gone off, off on a tangent again. My favorite speech. It's just so you see that in his one of in, in the throes in the beginning of his uh, downward spiral of illness. You still see he still has that quick wit and comic timing with that speech and then that just that genuine authentic you know passion and and love for expressed by for um gorilla monsoon secondly as quick-witted as you say and we all agree he was i did come across in the in the last few years maybe last year or two an episode of primetime wrestling where gorilla monsoon actually caught him and he actually he actually stumped him and I, 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 maybe I'll send you the link uh, to it or something on YouTube if I can still find it. Or so it's, it was on the WWE Network too. It just he just caught him. He just he got him and and it stumped him. And that that's and Girl Monsoon it was barrel last because he actually caught him off guard and he didn't know what to say. So I, I think I think I've seen the clip. I think I've seen the clip you're referring to. I can't remember the exact subject matter, but yeah, it was it was incredible. It was the Canada connection because he said these people they, they talk about Canada, America. It's like, why don't they go show footage of Beverly Hills? Why don't you come see the the shops, the malls, the the, the markets? 
And then they go back and forth, and he's like, well, you've never stepped out of a, a Beverly Hills in your life. It's like, well, why would I? Why, why wouldn't I? It's, it's beautiful. It's like, talk about, like, the air host. You're the prime guest of uh, the hot and cold running rats, is what he said. You're like the hot and cold running rats of the air host. <laughs> and that caught, that caught Bobby Heenan. Because that he, he, he basically, you know, rats, the wrestling term for, you know, groupies. That caught Bobby Heenan, and he started, he just stumped him. He, he started laughing, and it's like, he just, he, ah, ha, ha. He couldn't, he couldn't compose over for a moment. I was like, wow, Bobby Heenan getting caught off guard. That's not something you do too often. That, that, that's on documentation. So uh, I, forgive me. I had to share that with me because that was funny to me because I was like, wait a minute, Bobby Heenan got caught off guard? When does that happen? The only other time I could think of that was when Brian Pillman, the, the loose cannon, the champions, was raggled around his uh, a suit and he basically cursed on the air. So it's few and far between. Bobby Heenan, what a, what a, what a, another treasure, if you will. So, yeah. So I, I was shoehorning the million dollar competition just to be a Bobby Heenan segment and putting Bobby Heenan on because, you know, we adore him like we've done with Mick Foley in previous episodes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let, let, let's have, well, and as well, it, it's, it, above all that, it's, you know, we we're talking earlier about giving points for trying something new. We've not seen anything like this in the episodes we've reviewed because no. the, the idea of giving away a million dollars for a company that's losing, what was it, $5 million a month? Yeah. Is yeah. batshit mental. My favourite thing about that is Bischoff said uh, on his podcast, yeah, but in August 99, we'd only lost $1.9 million. Yeah, because you were profitable at the start of the year. And then you started losing shitloads of money. So it wasn't that you'd lost a little bit of money every month to get to 1.9. You'd be making lots of money, and then you were losing shitloads of money. And you'd done it for months to get down to that minus 1.9 in August. The, wow. the, big question, the big question now, though, is do I crack into the 14% beer that's sat next to me, or do I go get one of the sensible beers out the fridge? Do we? Mm. Do, 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 what? The one he has next to him or the one that he has in the fridge? Okay, it's next to me. Cans <laughs> over. Convenience. <laughs> it's got Freddy Krueger on the can. This beer might be a killer, you know? <laughs> so we've got our top five. We've got the Battle Royal and the Fallout thereof. We've got Lodi versus Evan Courageous. We've got the Lex Luger, Sting, Hogan storyline that's running through the night. Got the Berlin promo, and we've got the million dollar giveaway slash the brilliance of Bobby Heenan. There you go. So, in terms of adverts for the show, I don't know if you noticed this right at the start. We actually got an advert, and I think this is an advert that wasn't anything to do with WCW. I think it was on before the show, but the sound dubbing went over the start of it. So, for Quasson Pockets with a bakery style crust over the top of the entrance to uh, Nitro. I thought this was a fuck-up. I couldn't make out what it was saying, and I could not be asked going back to figure it out, because I thought it sounded to me like they were just like, it was like something to do with production. Like, that were just, yeah. you know, that's not supposed to air, and you just thought, are they just muttering about stuff that needs to be done? No, I think I think it was, defi- it was definitely an advert, because um, I went back and listened to it three or four times. Um, I still don't it, think it should have been there. It shouldn't. No, no, it was definitely a fuck up, and it was definitely for the new bakery style crust. Bakery style crust, brilliant. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I am a fan of those words put together. <laughs> a bakery-style crust on a croissant. But we're not we're not judging you, America. You know, obviously you form the majority of our listener base. But, yeah, it just doesn't sound right, a bakery-style I, I will judge America for one food item that I saw when I was over there, and this was years ago, but it stuck with me literally since I was a child, since I was about 10. We were just... I can't even remember where we were. Just on a family holiday, we had to stop into a supermarket. We're driving somewhere and uh, looking around, just having a look, see, stretch the legs. It was a long drive. And I saw frozen sausages on a stick, which, you know, fair enough. We've got we've got stuff a bit like that over here. I mean, Christ, we're the country that gave the world turkey twizzlers and then took them away and then brought them back. But it was sausage, frozen sausage on a stick and the sausage was wrapped in a chocolate chip pancake. Oh, that's wild. Why? And this is a genuine question. I'm not even trying to be funny on this. Someone please explain to me how that becomes a thing. Who who takes a... I don't want a fucking Cumberland wrapped in a pancake. And I'm going to sneeze. Hang on. Dan just sneezed and his headphones fell off. It was brilliant. Um, we really need to start a video version of this podcast. Hair fever is a bastard. The antihistamines are obviously wearing off. Um, but yeah, I did just sneeze so hard my headset fell off. There was an advert for Fall Brawl. So that, that's good. Amazing. There was plenty of hype for Gillian's Restaurant and Pool Hall. Was there? Yeah, with the Nitro Girl search uh, next week. There was an advert for WCW.com, the number one wrestling website in the world. As uh, Wing Commander Nash proved last week, it's still up and running. So log on. I think this show was sponsored by Hummers because everyone was driving a Hummer (laughs) or aspiring to own a Hummer in the future. Or Hulk Hogan looking like a giant overstuffed hot dog talking about how he has two Hummers, one wherever they were in Miami, I think, and then, you know, that's a certain colour with a certain top and then another one out in California that's another colour and a certain, certain brand. Don't get me wrong, I like cars. I used to be a massive petrol head, but... There's no reason anybody needs two Hummers. No, you're right. So on the last episode we reviewed, which was two weeks ago, in terms of the 1999 timeline, Tony Schiavone had advertised WCW Mayhem the Game, saying that it was released that day. And he was wrong, because it was released the next week. So on this episode, Tony Schiavone is going to have another crack at it. And he's again going to say it's released today. It was released a week ago, Tony. So you got it wrong saying it was a week early, and now you've got it wrong, it being a week late. Tony's, Tony's just getting told what to say. He doesn't know. He probably doesn't care. Well, Don't, I, don't blame Tony. I mean, I, I didn't buy it at that point. I, I bought it many years later when Blockbuster Videos uh, in Osset, near the beer house, was uh, closing down, and I got it for £4 on the next rental. Tidy. Smart it, it business was, sense. Yeah, I mean, the PS3 was out by that point, and they had a PS1 game kicking around in the back. Ubiquitous Wendy's hot and juicy classic hamburger and Wrangler jeans adverts that we'd seen the week before. Oh, my favourite part about the Wrangler jeans advert is that it that they showed it up mere seconds after, I think it was, uh, was it Buff Bagwell who exited the ring? And he was clearly, clearly wearing Tommy Hilfiger jeans. So it's not going with the branding. It needs to be needs to be told. Fucking Bagwell. There was an advert for Lug's shoes again. 
there was an advert for WCW Live with Eric Bischoff on Wednesday. It was very interesting considering what we've discussed earlier in the show. I'd have really liked to hear what he had to say on that. And there was an advert for 1-800-CALL-ATT, which is WCW's uh, version or rival to 1-800-COLLECT that uh, the WWF has. It's uh, Jimmy Barron on the road report. Basically, he goes to wherever Nitro is the following week and rings in to say that you should go there. So he's just sat by the pool and now he's even calling collect. So the best job in the world. (laughs) When he won't have been, he won't have been sat by a pool somewhere. He'll have been sat in some shitty motel. Yeah. (laughs) The temperature will have never been quite right. He'll either be freezing his bollocks off or roasting to death. He will. So now in terms of shout outs that we've had for the show, got a shout out from Bang Bang Podcast. and. To, to be absolutely fair to Bang Bang Podcast, A, they dropped the last episode in terms of when we're recording on a Sunday. So we went on the post on the Monday and won that week of the Monday morning was. <laughs> and B, we both had the privilege of appearing on Bang Bang Podcast's 50th episode, which was was a really good time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and Andy, bless him, the amount of editing he's going to have to put into that. He won't, he won't, he won't do slash won't have done much editing because I don't think you can edit the amount of bollocks I was talking. To be quite frank, it was I, it was just a glorious clusterfuck. I don't know what Tanner thought had hit him. <laughs> I almost feel sorry for Tanner, almost, but he kept picking the picking the wrestlers I wanted the prick. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was a pleasure to be on uh, to be on Bang Bang's fiftieth episode. And uh, as I mentioned before, it, w- it was an absolute scream. Yeah, no, it was really good. Danny at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter said um, that uh, a double bill of Bang Bang Podcast and UTT Podcast is the perfect way to start a bank holiday Monday. So shows you when that was. Um, or indeed any Monday. Yeah, and, and he actually said that that episode, which was the episode that Matt appeared on for the first time, was his favourite episode. Yeah, and uh, just I was actually speaking uh, to Matt about this earlier today. He was absolutely delighted with every bit of positive feedback. He was a little bit worried, bless him, about how he performed, because that's just the, the type of person he is. He is uh, his own harshest critic. I'm very confident in, in speaking for my old mate that it, uh, it meant a hell of a lot to him uh, for everybody who reached out. I was going to mention the same thing. It's been a pleasure to have him on the show, and hopefully we'll get him back on in the future. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if, he plays, if, he, if he makes his cards right, if he makes us more of those top trump cards. <laughs> yeah, he's, had, he's made two top trumps cards and he's had two appearances. Yeah, you get an appearance for a top trumps card. We got the regular shout out from the guys at Joe in the ring. So, you know, really appreciative of that and, and the support they've been giving Thank us. You guys. Thank you. Nap time at nap time 0511. Hey, so, whatever. <laughs> that, that, that's his name on Twitch. Uh, is the the Twitter handle you just read out? He uh, Twitch streams under the username uh, whatever dude. I will nap. Uh, he streams all sorts of stuff. Basically, if you are working from home and don't want to feel like you're working alone, uh, you can put his stream on. He's usually learning to to code or something along those lines. He structures the stream so you work for a certain amount of time, take a little break work for a certain amount of time, take a little break. I'd really urge you to uh, to catch uh, to catch what uh, to catch whatever whenever he's live. 
Well, as someone who spends a lot of their life coding, I may well um, <laughs> on that. Yeah. So he, he said that he generally enjoyed um, the show and he's not even that big a fan of wrestling. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's high praise. Another one um, who, who, listened for, who listened for Matt, to be honest, me and whatever chat on uh, in stream chats and whatnot, but uh, whatever and Matt are uh, the streamer buddies. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening, mate. Appreciate it. It's really appreciated. And, you know, the, the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. So, you know, if you don't like wrestling, uh, we're, we're the pod, wrestling podcast for you. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier in the show, Good Cop, Bad Cop podcast um, really wanted to know about what type of averages we were using, the stats, that kind of thing. As I said at the start, the, the, with six episodes, there's just not really enough to do the numbers on. Uh, if, if we do get into a period where people have a, a bigger run, I, I may well... I may well look into Cook's distance. Might not, might not be bad. That, that sounds sexy. But it, well, from, from knowing uh, which, which data points to exclude and include, it is really sexy. It's all mm. about studentized residuals. Chris at Chris underscore BFC um, said, yeah, yeah, you're going to start whining about how to spell code now, aren't you? Said that, that Rob really needs to do a better job with the statistics and the averages. So uh, I'm getting it from all angles here. Max at Lemsit Max, and that he's from the uh, For the Love of AEW podcast, said that he really appreciated um, the honesty from yourself, Dan, last week when you were um, talking at the start of the episode about, you, you know, potentially having an anxiety attack that day sort of thing. I really appreciated that. that uh, it kind of caught me out of left field because um, I've always been, well, I say always, um, for the last sort of ooh, eight years or so, one of my sort of coping mechanisms is just being upfront and honest with people about about sort of the state of my mental health and, and things like that. So, in terms of normalising it in in conversation with you know with those around me, it, it's just one of my coping mechanisms. So I didn't even think twice about mentioning it. But I'm I'm really, really just really happy that uh, that somebody found some value in something that I not to sound arrogant, but was just sort of par for the course for for my conversation and. Uh, it, it, I really can't overstate just uh, just how much uh, how much that meant to me. So thank you very much. And it's it's good that you feel you can sort of share that stuff. And you know, if people are having those sort of issues, I think it you know it is good for people to talk about it. A lot of people say this, but it is true. If anybody out there listening, any of our regular listeners, any any new listeners, just need a a place to vent or a place to run run any any thoughts by someone my my dms are open they are i'll be i'll be honest i'll tell you exactly what i think of the situation but they are open i'm more than willing to talk absolutely uh if you if you need someone who is sort of removed from the situation or you know even if we've never spoken then please feel free to come to me so now it's time for the award section of the show what would you give match of the night to because this this show was somewhat lacking on match of the night. The one uh, the uh, the match that comes to my mind that actually came to completion because there was a lot of uh, you know shenanigans was the six man uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, and Billy Kidman versus oh my god, uh, Hoover to Guerrero, psychosis, psychosis. and, and Bl- Blitzkrieg. Yes. Yeah. So that, that that one would be match of the night because they actually did put on a good match and it actually had a conclusion. 
that's more than fair on this match. It was it was an odd one because again you've got a lot of talent in that match, like mm-hmm. Hooventude and Psychosis, Eddie Chavo, Kidman, all top tier cruiserweights and Blitzkrieg. We've we reviewed uh, we reviewed a Blitzkrieg match with glowing praise um, yeah, on the uh, on yeah on the episode with Sarah. It was a little bit odd to me that I know very little about Lucha Libre. I believe the heels in Lucha Libre are Rudos. Rudos are the heels and Technicals are the uh, faces. Rudos and Technicals. So, and again, just jump in, correct me if I'm wrong. Were, was was Hooventude, or I'll just answer any question, was, was the way that Hooventude, Psychosis and Blitzkrieg were sort of spoiling the match and and beating down the faces, was that typical Rudo behaviour? Or is that more like in 95 Raw when they were trying to tell us that the slow paced technique, the slow paced boring technical stuff was typical lucha libre. No, they the were the making more of a Rudo style, to be fair. It felt more lucha libre, which was definitely a sort of characteristic of Nitro that they'd yeah. and, and let them work the, uh, the lucha libre style. The thing with lucha libre is there are people at the top, so you often get in sort of AAA in the current era. You'll get people like Blue Demon Jr., uh, you know, a legend at the top of the card who's sort of slowed down, effectively, mm. you know, because in his 50s, and, and they kind of work a slower style. But in, in the lower card, you definitely get that sort of style that we saw in this match. Fair enough. The, the, that was literally just a question to, um, to sort of help my education and, uh, and my own sort of ignorance. Because uh, I enjoyed the match, man. It felt it felt a shade long, which is weird considering there wasn't all that much in ring on this show comparatively. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I can completely see how you'd I would give that Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what's yours, Dan? Mine. This is going to surprise you. Like I, I saved this. I didn't bring this up in my five points because I wanted to see the shock and awe on your face. My match of the night is Buff Bagwell versus Stephen Regal. Hmm. Well, I know you're a Buff Bagwell fan because we've watched New Blood Rising. <laughs> <laughs> the American Mills. And now it is, it is now revealed. The American Mills, he, he was a fan of, of Bagwell back when, when uh, he talked up with Scotty. <laughs> I no, 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 no. I, Far I, from I, it. I, I digress. I, uh, <laughs> I realised the reason that I hate Cameron Grimes during Buff Bagwell's entrance. It's because I see Cameron Grimes wearing that fucking top hat and I remember Buff Bagwell being just a prancing, preening prick that I want to get off my screen wearing that fucking swat-arsey top hat. But, but Danny, remember, who, who was the, the last wrestler before that? to wear a top hat that looked exactly like that. It was the biggest draw in the history of wrestling, Big Daddy. I wasn't alive. <laughs> your, your youth sickens me. <laughs> oh, man. And so it should, old man. Oh, I'm channeling Steve now. If Steve was here right now, he'd be disappointed in how young you are. Well, I, I took great pleasure in pointing out that my age starts with a three. 
<laughs> on the uh, on the last recording. But anyway, I digress from my my hatred of Buff Bragwell. I can give the uh, the devil its due. As much as we say on this show that a stopped cage match is right twice a day, a stuck up cunt can produce a good match twice a year. But it was mostly for Regal. Oh, Regal. Regal, just just from the start, he's doing his usual. He has this weird. Regal has this unique movement where it's almost like he's doing a bad T Rex impression <laughs> because his his <laughs> knees are slightly bent, his ass is out, and his hands are sort sort of slightly in front of him. But he's always like snap, you know, just like clicking a joint or cracking his neck, and it's a weird way of stalking his opponent. <laughs> but. Before all that, so Regal starts his usual sticks or going in for the lockup, and Buff just stops it and starts the USA chant. So he goes for the nationalist pop, which he gets. Because, uh, as we've said on the show before, and again, apologies, American listeners, but it's true. Starting a USA chant at a sporting event at this point is Pavlovian. Pavlov, you ring the bell, the dogs drool, expecting food. You start a USA chant, the crowd follow. It's not a judgment, it's just a fact. They actually have a really good exchange of holds initially, like a very sort of almost like a world sports style, you know, you know, headlocks, wristlocks, hammerlocks, all of that. Yeah, all, all the reversals, the transitions, everything. Regal powders after uh, a backdrop and a clothesline, which leads to another USA chant. And uh, all the time you've got Dave Taylor on the outside with uh, with the Union Jack, sort of threatening. And and we all know where it's going. But it, but it still works well. You've got Regal just being a bit of a shit heel, Bagwell getting the better of him with mm-hmm. you know with power moves and stuff like that. And it's a trope, but I really enjoyed the finish. Just, oh, uh, um, oh well, no, sorry. Before that, though, you have Taylor hitting Bagwell with the flag that sort of telegraphs the end. Regal hits the uppercut, picks up Bagwell. Bagwell fights out. Regal gets him down. But then uh, Regal holds Bagwell for Taylor to hit him with the flag. Bagwell ducks and Regal does the most pantomime comedy stagger. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just give me oh 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 I see I seem to have been hit by something. I can't control my legs. Oh, oh I'm going this way, I'm going that way. And then Bagwell hits the blockbuster and uh, for the three. And it was just genuinely entertaining. And again, a lot of it was down to Regal, because you know, fuck buff Bagwell. But I will, uh... <laughs> so Bagwell hits the blockbuster for three. Regal is completely besmirched. But I actually, I said, you know, this this was for a match involving Bagwell. I was genuinely surprisingly entertained, and I will give. I am just gonna unashamedly give both Bad Bagwell unmitigated praise for cutting a better patriotic promo than Cody Rhodes in reference to Berlin. <laughs> I could cut a better American patriotic promo than Cody Rhodes. Jesus Christ. I have, farted, um, I have farted better pro-American <laughs> promos. Sorry, Tony, I have to ask. What did, have you seen Cody's? I have not seen it. I have, again, I'm familiar with it. I'd have to be somewhere out in the wilderness not to be. And yeah. it was, what I, what, I, what I gauged from it is that it was very long-winded. And basically ran around the corner and basically then brought it back to him being for America. Like he, he took a long way to get to what he was trying to articulate is what I've gathered. And then now I'm America. It's America. Now I'm, and he actually took on the American dream moniker for this feud with Anthony Gogo, correct? 
Yeah. yeah. For, for one night yeah. only, yeah. Yeah. So now that you bring it up, I you know, just to you know, I know the the match happened and you know, match transpired and everything. I may go back and look and try to find it. I just hadn't had a chance to uh, see it. I because I'm the one that likes to like how you say, you know, if somebody might make a suggestion or make me aware of something, then you bring me aware of it. I want to see it myself. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. I, yeah. Um, yeah. For, for what it's worth, off air, I would if you do happen upon, if you do happen to a spy, said ah, uh, said promo, yeah. I would I would be really interested to uh, to hear your thoughts on it. Sorry, that, that was very long-winded for something that should have been a simple award, um, but I wanted to give. Uh, I, I wanted to uh, just hammer home how much I've betrayed my own principles and give the uh, give the match of the night to Regal versus Bagwell. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to assume that when he said that Regal was moving like T Rex, that he was moving like Mark Boland as opposed to the dinosaur. That's that's all I'm going to assume. Fuck's sake, Rob. Yes, whatever. A combination of the two. In terms of my match of the night, yeah, I know it was shit. I know it was a, a, a cage over a tiny ring, but I'm going to give it to the main event. So it's Sid, Rick Steiner and DDP versus Hulk Hogan and Goldberg and Sting appearing fashionably. It's just, mm. just, just the star power in the match, you know. And, and as I say, we got to see all the greatest hits, so that's what I'm going for. What would you give your moment of the night to? The reappearance of Brahart. Just to re- that, that, that I guess that that carries over from my previous it's just and, and and then basically recognizing what it was to me is like this that was his first appearance since Owen Hart had died then it was there's a lot there's a lot to go through that because that he would come back and it was like that would only be like four months removed so mm-hmm. that's in my estimation, it's pretty rapid after such a tragic event. So, yeah, that'd be my moment of night. That he, and the way it all kind of played out on air, because they were mistaken about where they were going to start off the show. And then, so kind of, even their mistake kind of played into the moment for me. That, oh, it's Winnie, Bret Hart, you know? Instead of, we're going to Mean Genius, Bret Hart's here. And then they played right into it. So, even mistakes can, like you said earlier, learn from. You know, you can learn from mistakes and actually be able to capitalize by getting back into the groove of things. So, yeah, that would be my moment of the night. Oh, what's your moment of the night, Dan? Uh, my moment of the night is uh, Sting turning up to make the save. It was probably the the biggest pop of the night. Um, we, we've seen him laid out in dubious circumstances because apparently a sofa tried to eat him earlier in the show when the lights went down. Uh, but, you know, so, so obviously he's very traumatised from being uh, being chomped by furniture. <laughs> yeah, Dan, he, he, that's your moment of the night, and yet you missed the 10 seconds where it all came to a head between himself and Luger. What gives? Uh, that didn't happen. That's completely fictional as far as I'm concerned. If I, if I, if if, uh, if I haven't seen, I'm I'm, I'm pulling uh, I'm pulling a, a Donald Trump slash Boris Johnson. If I haven't seen it and I haven't experienced it, then it obviously doesn't exist. Fair enough, Dan. Unfortunately, <laughs> Dan, I'm giving my moment of the night to the ten seconds you missed when Alex Luger turned on. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Tony, who would he give you MVP of the night to? Comes up with it in the last ten seconds. <laughs> I, I think I think I think I broke the broken one. <laughs> He's rebroken. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> um, MVP. Can I designate it to a match? Do you uh, just, yeah, but bend the rules however you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want, Tony. Oh, if I can bend them, perhaps I can. They can also be broken. Ah, yes. Well, I want to give it the MVP to the match of the uh, the the, the uh, six man. That that match really sticks out to me. They 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 definitely put on a good uh, performance. And uh, again, I'm one that likes to see matches more, more times than not come to a conclusion than uh, you know a winner and a loser. So I would say they the match gets that MVP for me. Who's your MVP, Dan? There's only one MVP. It's the man who, who stole the show. He maximised his minutes. He was just a star from start to finish in his segment. Uh, Johnny Swinger. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good call. I mean, the the well, I think it says volumes about this show. But there is one woman who took the time and effort to learn sign language. So Zuli Mortez, she's getting my MVP of the show. I'm actually annoyed. I didn't think of Zuli. Yeah, she, she deserved better than the crowd response she got. Yeah, she really did. Or the introduction or commentary by whatever his name was, Rick Rackman, or, whatever. Or, or, or having to occupy the same planet as that piece <laughs> of shit garbage fuckbag. Yeah. So, Tony, who would you give the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to? When you sent me the layout for this, <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be looking for somebody that actually has similar hair. Is that, is that the kind of way it works? Like, that's a René Goulet. They don't have to have the same hair as René Goulet, otherwise Barry Windham's going to win it every month. <laughs> well, okay, well, I mean, I'm going to give it to you, and then if it applies and it's acceptable, then delightful. But when I read that, the René Goulet haircut, and I watched the opening segment, to me, Lex Luger. I saw Lex Luger. I was thinking similarities. so. I thought, wow, that's the guy. That, if I'm, if I'm, am I thinking the same Rene Goulet that was the wrestler back in the 70s and 80s and then became a agent? Okay, that's what I, I, when I saw Luger and you said, that was it. To me, it's like, boy, at that moment, Luger is looking a lot with that hairstyle, like Rene Goulet. So, there you go. <laughs> what, what, so, what, what, you the record, Rob, it wasn't Barry Windham every month because now it's like Luger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Barry Windham does rock a very similar haircut to René Goulet. Oh, well, I do not dispute it. I do not. Just, I am the exception. Yeah. No, no. Um, as we say, I, I think the we've named it after René Goulet just because of his, his bold choice of haircut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is an honour that you're bestowing him because it is memorable. So he did do something... You know, besides being in the ring, it's memorable in appearance because it obviously resonated with both of you. And obviously me too, because I recall it too. <laughs> so, so what's your uh, René Goulet haircut of the night award, Dan? Oh, God, it, it's, it's Evan Courageous's hair. Because <laughs> I can't even describe what that was. Was it braids? I think that's what the attempt think... was. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it looked like, it, like when the, you look at the bulldog, in like 92 or, or before when he had the braids 
And then you look at Evan Courageous. He, he's basically got Bulldog's haircut if it was done by an absolute douchebag. And the beauty of this, Dan, is that haircut is going to get more outrageous as he moves towards free count. I mean, if you're awarding him this now... <laughs> oh, fuck me, was Evan Courageous in three count? Yeah. Yes, Sugar Shane Helms. Oh, uh, Do you know what? Uh, was it Shannon Moore? Yeah. yeah. Tank yeah. Abbott. Tank Abbott was the fourth member, yeah. I, I, he was a he was a fan of the, the leader of the fan club, I guess you would say. He yeah. certainly looked. He certainly looked like a fucking member. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, penis joke. Yeah, my haircut. My haircut tonight, and uh, and I appreciate this guy is someone who's uh, yeah muckied his ticket in wrestling with what happened when he was a trainer in NXT. But I, I'm going to go for Hugh Morris. Because of that beard with uh, three rubber bands. Oh God! I don't know what that was. It was I mean, ca- it was Captain Luwal bullshit. Yeah, that fits. That's a good description because I don't know what. Yeah, that's it. I'll go with that. What was your sign of the night? Nothing really stuck out to me except so basically I'm gonna go with the one audience member that had their go about with the uh, Lodi. Uh, because they were hitting him with the sign. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Lodi rules. rules. So I don't know what the sign said, though. <laughs> the Lodi rules. Lodi rules. That's, like, that's Lodi the rules. one that stuck out because there was, such a, there was such a kerfuffle afterwards. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's mine. It's a good pick. So, as usual, I'm just going to do a scroll back up through my notes and have a look at a few that I picked out that were notable. There weren't too many. Rob, you uh, in fact, I don't know if I should bring this up because I think this might be yours, Rob, so I'll, uh, I'll leave that one alone. I'll go back even further. Somebody had a sign in the crowd that said, I make Lodi signs. <laughs> so obviously, Lodi came out with his own signs, uh, which were many and varied. Uh, blow pops rule anywhere, short shorts. And, and one that was very pertinent and I wish that they'd adhered to, which was just stop the hate. Hmm. Which was, uh, to, to be quite frank, way ahead of its time. Before that, in the uh, the Bret Hart promo, somebody had a sign that said, uh, "We're on TV and you're not." <laughs> which, which was ironic because we could only see the sign; we couldn't see who was holding it. And then one that slightly confused me that I, I was going to sort of try and research further, but decided not to because it just said. Camillo, or Camillo, C-A-M-I-L-O, equals rocks pubes. So whatever whatever Camillo is, or Camillo, or whoever, wherever, they are the equivalent of the rocks pubes. But my sign of the night goes to the sign that simply said, WCW needs ratings. The sign said more than that, Dan. It said WCW needs ratings, big sexy. So they thought that Kevin Nash was still booking the show. I didn't see the bottom of the sign. I just saw the top bits. Yeah, mm. so all fairness to them, they, they assumed Kevin Nash was still booking this show, but... The thing was... is, same principle behind the selection. Yeah. There was a few that stuck out to me. I assume Vincent was in the crowd at one point because there was a sign saying, I'm a redneck. 
someone had gone to Nitro and had a sign saying, I'm missing Raw. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. There was one, and I apologise, Tony, if you don't get the reference. There, there was one that said, I did it all for the Nucky. And there used to be a ventriloquist act. Um, he, he was called Roger DeCorsi, and he had a ventriloquist doll called Nucky Bear. And I'm assuming that um, he did it all for Nucky Bear. <laughs> Tony, if you, if, Tony, it's fine if you don't get that, because I don't get that. If someone back when was at the night of saying they did it all for the nookie and that was what they were referencing boy they got one over on everybody else because that wouldn't have really registered to anybody else more more than anybody else back then fair play yeah well uh, in in all fairness um the ogdens on graps and claps did a whole entire episode featuring nookie bear so i'm not the only person to bring that into wrestling i'm Um, drinking a 14 percent stout i'm not going to remember most of this in the morning that, that, that's a lie. I'll remember most of it. I just might not remember the end. I, I think um, the sign that you were holding back on not mentioning was a sign for World of Sport legend Big Daddy. It was. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not the one I'm going to give you. You're going to mention that. Now, the sign <laughs> of the night I, I'm going for is Guildford Football Sucks. And the re well, there's two reasons I'm going to go for this. Firstly, if you're assuming Guildford football means the football team in the UK, Guildford FC folded in 1974, and we get an unfortunate incident of franchising in British football, which we absolutely hate, where Burpham FC relocated 35 miles to Guildford to form AFC Guildford. And as a British football fan, we find franchising disgusting. I know it happens all the time in America, but we really yeah. rally against it. We hated it when it when Wimbledon moved to Milton Keynes. You know that the entire community of football really hate it when this happens. And this was the first time I found out that it happened to Guildford, and I'm disgusted by it. Quite honestly, as a football fan, that this shouldn't be happening. So that's that's one side. Guildford football sucks. The other side of this, that Guildford football sucks, is that Terry Taylor went to Guildford University and played for the American football team at um, Guildford University. <laughs> and I mean, I had to put in so many combinations into Google to find out that Terry Taylor had played for Guildford Football Club when I was trying to like find out Terry Taylor's career. And in 1999, the internet wasn't that sophisticated. So the level of research that someone put in to diss Terry Taylor in 1999 as part of the the booking by saying that Guildford football sucks just gets ultimate respect from me. (laughs) Can can I change my sign? Because that's fucking amazing. (laughs) Just, Just the levels on this show. So what would you rate the show out of 10, Tony? I'd give it a four. That's fair. Completely understandable. What do you rate it, Dan? All right, here we go. The uh, the ratings ramble. For the matches, they were mostly average or below par. Were fine. So the matches get a four out of ten for me. The promos, as much as I love Bret Hart and him returning was was great. 
it, it, it was a good Brett. It was an average Brett Harper run, which means it wasn't good. Hogan was terrible. Um, and whatever else was on there, it, it got off. It got off. So the promos got four out of ten for me as well. The, the this production-wise, this this show was was just all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. You had the fuck up with the with the advert playing in the background at the start, the disparity in tone for the whole thing, changing on the fly because I'm sh- I'm certain they said it was supposed to be a fourteen man battle royal, then it became a twelve man battle royal, then it became an eleven man battle royal. To the confusing number one contender situation because they told us that they were going to have the two, the final two in the battle royal, compete the week after for the number one contendership, but they still trotted out Malenko and Benoit towards the end of the show. So just everything like that. The the, the production, the commentary was unenthused. The pyro and the lighting were good. So, you know, points there. But the production, again, I'm, I'm just reading from my notes. I'm not blindly agreeing with Tony, but the production was a far. <laughs> the storyline is the one sort of redeeming feature in that they kept a lot of things moving. You had the, you know, the, the, the overarching, you know, can Hogan be trusted storyline with that brought in Sting and Luger. You had... The, the man for the the millennium man Sid Vicious you know coming out although why he didn't decide to extend his streak when he could have is a mystery and there were a few other bits and pieces so but it wasn't as good as previous weeks so that was at best a six probably a five and the fan response the, this was one of the worst crowds we've seen on any on Raw or Nitro for a long time they were sat on the hands for most of the night except when they knew they were on TV the woke up when it was was one of the big names. I, I can't even say that I blame them, but the fan response was a three out of ten. So I I agree with Tony. It averages out of four out of ten for me. Yeah, I'm gonna give it four point five because I read last week that we reviewed a four. I think I have to read it slightly higher because of that last ten seconds of the show that you missed. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan missed that on it. Yeah, you might have yeah. you might have raised your score a little bit. It might um, it might have got it to a four point one. Yeah. Um. So would it surprise you that none of the community on Cage Match have rated this show? No, because um, nobody's bothered. No, only idiots have bothered to fucking watch it. Idiots <laughs> and, and 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 the and the gracious people who agree to appear on their podcast. Well, you're lucky you say that, Dan, because no one watched it on Cage Match. So I defaulted to wrestling data and the community on wrestling data gave an average of three out of five. So effectively six out of 10. Fucking idiots. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is that worse? Uh, uh, are, are the community on wrestling data worse than the community on gauge match? That, well, no, no, there's no such thing as right and wrong when it, when it comes to wrestling opinion, but they are very much entitled to their wrong opinions. Yeah. So, Tony, where can people find you? Wherever they look. No, no, uh, seriously. Uh, <laughs> In the bushes outside your house. <laughs> <laughs> then don't look for me there, because I don't want you to come where I reside. No. Um, <laughs> on Twitterverse, uh, or Twitter, at capitalized A-K-A, and then uh, L-T-S-I-L-V-A, A-K-A, Lieutenant Silva. 
that's pretty much where you can find me on uh, social media right there. And if you happen to be in Allentown or the town of Allen and you want to find me, make sure I want to be found. Because <laughs> you're not going to find me. So that's where I, that's, that's, that's the only social media I have. Superb. And well worth a follow. One of the highlights as well. That. Thank you. Thank you very much. Also, we are coming to the end of this, this podcast, this gathering, this revelry is over. As we uh, part this uh, time, may I uh, extend my gratitude and thank you very much for um, inviting me. Myself, Dan, and Rob, you will know the uh, hurdles that came up in trying to bring this all together. So on my end, on my end. So I, I, I thank you very much for working with me on this, that we could make this occur because this, this was very, uh, very good. I have been, I enjoyed the time and, and, and I've missed you. So thank you very much for bringing me on this and great success that you will have. Please continue this, this endeavor. I'm glad that you're doing this uh, and I enjoyed it greatly. Thank you. Tony, please don't, don't apologize. You know, life, you know, in Jurassic Park, they say life finds a way, but, you know, we often find that life finds a way of getting in the way <laughs> of things like this. And, uh, you know, you're saying about things beyond your control. Rob has, me and Rob have had to delay recordings before because I've, I've just decided to that I need an emergency shit. So... <laughs> So it's really, it's no hardship, my friend. Um, I'm speaking for myself and Rob here because I'm, I'm confident to do so. We, we've loved having you on and thank you. Really glad you've come back to, to Twitter and really glad we could have this talk. It, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, obviously down to more eloquent than I am, but yeah, I, I absolutely loved speaking to you this evening and having you on the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, both for you, and you're welcome. And look forward to uh, many more interactions uh, on the plane known as Twitterverse, and now on additional contact we can have. Thank you again. Or may your night be absolutely wonderful. Yes. Uh, I'm at Hardy running right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Silver running. Yes. So, so where can people find you, Dan? Uh, if you want to find me tomorrow, I will be on my sofa nursing a hangover. Uh, I, I wouldn't suggest coming in the same room because the beer farts will be incredible. But if you want to interact with me on Twitter, uh, I'm at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting about wrestling that's at least six weeks behind and occasionally movies that are 25 years out of date that I'm only just seeing. I am uh, also on that 90s wrestling podcast's uh, monthly pay-per-view reviews uh, with uh, James, Mags, and your good self, Rob. Uh, they can be found at 90s Wrestling Pod. But yeah, come along for an answer. I might reply. Depends how hungover I am tomorrow. <laughs> if you want to find me, I will be absolutely fine because I do not believe in hangovers. You've got to attack the day and don't let it take you over. You can follow me at UTT Rob. It's more about mutuals than followers. Uh, you can find the show either on That Night is Wrestling Podcast channel or on its own channel at uh, uh, UTT Podcast or on Booking the Territory. So the next episode we're going to go to is the Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor lowest rated episode. So uh, if this was the high and we gave it uh, just over four out of ten combined between us. <laughs> My alcohol budget's going up next week.
<laughs> yeah, the, the the ratings might not be high, but the alcohol uh, percentage of the beers we drink will be. Uh, got to compensate for the low ratings and the low uh, scores. You got to sit there and raise the levels, raise the levels. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. We may be doing a whiskey special next week. <laughs> I will be absolutely fine with that. I've got a, a good stash of whiskeys in uh, in my liquor cabinet, most of which are themed after Game of Thrones. Mm. I have a lot of whiskey on the shelf just over there. It, it's all from uh, Chris underscore BFC. So <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't deserve whiskey. But thank you for listening. Well, there's no doubt we got to take it on a Harlem Heat. They caused Bobby Duncan shoulder and a knee surgery. Two in one shot. I mean, he's going to be down for a good two or three months. So at Fall Brawl, we got to take it out on Harlem Heat. We got it in line. We'll take care of it. I mean, you got a man short? What in the wide world of sports is this? Vincent! What's up, partner? You won. I heard your damn fucking doggy while I was riding around my Toyota pickup truck listening to that rapper's crap. I love that tape. I need one of them new tapes, yeah, man. Yeah, I love that again. I love it, man. I love it. Where are you from, think? anyway? I'm from the South Side. I'm the biggest redneck in the South world. South Side of what? New, new York, York City. City. <laughs> yeah. You want to join along tonight? Yeah, I want to join. Let me tell you something, Curly Bill. You want to join along Curly tonight? Bill. We'll let you jump on the cowboy bandwagon. You want to yeah. be a redneck? I want to be Tonight, a we're going to give you that opportunity. Yeah, good. I love it. <laughs>